This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. going on guys my take radio episode 203 for thursday october 31st 2013 i'm your host rich and our call in number is 347-324-3541 again that call in number 347-324-3541 happy halloween guys uh back in the saddle after a week off last week we were at the photo plus expo and um, a couple of things i want to get into with regards to that but first and foremost it's Halloween. I was supposed to do the show in costume, but a couple of things happened because why wouldn't they? I wanted to actually do the show dressed as Bane because I do the Bane voice so much and it's kind of become one of those things where the the Bane voice has become like my calling card. So I figured I'd pick up a Bane mask and do like the opening five minutes of the show as Gotham's Reckoning, but turns out that I went to a couple of different party stores and the Bane costume was the Bane mask by itself. No extra shit was 50 bucks for the Bane mask. And the thing about it was I wouldn't have, I, I, you know, I had no problem paying 50 bucks if it would have been a high quality mask, but it was kind of like a rubbery stretched out mask, which was kind of bullshit. So I figured, fuck it. I I went and looked around at a couple of different masks and different options that would allow me to do the show with the mask on most of the time. Nothing happened, so uh, I broke out my psych ward t-shirt, decided to just be a prison inmate, which, you know, it is what it is. Obviously, you can make jokes about being Hispanic and being a prison inmate because there are a plenty. But nonetheless, I am back in action to give you guys one last show before I run off and get married in pretty much less than 10 days. So um, with that said, let's get into the show schedule for the rest of November so that you guys can take some notes. This will be the last show until November 21st. I will not be doing a show, a live show November 7th uh, because I'll be traveling to my destination for my wedding on the 8th and my flight is at six o'clock in the morning. So doing a live show till 3 a.m. definitely won't accomplish a fucking thing. And uh, yeah, so that's not going to happen. If anything, I may either do a pre-recorded show Tuesday or Wednesday, or I may do a live show maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll get with my friends over at GFQ and see what the deal is with regards to that. Jay says that he would gladly do the show it would be a disaster but a show nonetheless you know it's funny i had actually thought of letting slick 
uh, run the show in my absence, but there's so much shit that goes into the show behind the scenes that it would probably trip a lot of you guys out. I'm not saying it's something insane. Um, yeah, Jay Santi with, with Quark screening the calls. I, I guarantee you it would probably be some of the craziest radio, but I think the two of you would either kill each other or possibly set your computers on fire. Um, excuse me. There's a lot that go. There's a lot that goes into it. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but if you guys can see, you know, we're using a laptop to run Skype. I have my big machine that's doing all the video and a host of other shit. It's, it's not as easy as it looks, but nonetheless, you know, I appreciate you guys wanting to step up for that, but we'll figure out what we're going to do while I am gone. Nonetheless, live show today, possibly no live show next week. Uh, the week of the, uh, the 11th, there will be no show at all because at that point I'll be, you know, uh, getting getting the old ball and chain and um, live shows will return on the 21st and Thanksgiving week. Probably I will do a show that Wednesday. So that's pretty much the layout for the remainder of the month. There's been a lot of stuff that's been going on with the site and I know, you know, we kind of been slow on getting content out, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. Wedding planning is shit and it's actually going to go into my monologue for this week for a for a bunch of reasons. So one of the things I've been doing to kind of prepare for this whole wedding thing is I've been in the gym a lot more. Uh, you sometimes going into the gym twice a day just because, you know, you want to look in shape where I'm getting married, you know, it's, it's, it's in the Caribbean. So, you know, you're going to be shirtless, whatever. You don't want to look like a fucking blob of shit. So doing two a days for the gym, either before I get into the office and on my lunch break, Weights, cardio, weights, cardio, tracking all my meals with fucking S health, which um, is actually pretty good on the note. So I got to give credit where credit is due. Pretty cool app that. And of course, the um, the thing that tracks how many steps I take. So I'll let you guys take a look at that if you could zoom in anyway. So been doing that and I've pretty much dropped about 12 pounds or so and um big pain in the ass. So something funny happened on Monday, going to the gym to do cardio. And if there's one thing that makes walking on the treadmill easier is Netflix. So Netflix, uh, max go HBO go, whatever, whatever you got and unlimited data are a savior. Cause I'm cranking out about 45 minutes during my lunch break. So I go in and Monday I went and I started watching, uh, the doom justice league movie, which is phenomenal i was extremely impressed with how good it was so i started watching it and i got about halfway through it so this older guy got to be about 35 or 40 comes over and he's kind of over my shoulder watching watching the movie whatever it's cool i don't mind but the gym i go to they all have flat screen tvs on all their cardio equipment with cable and any any piece of cardio equipment you go on you got your own tv has a charger for your ipod you know, the amount of money you pay for this gym, you know, it, they give you a lot of cool shit. So I, I was bothered by the guy just like over my shoulder. So I decided Tuesday, let me go to a different treadmill so I can get better 4G LTE to uh, watch the movie. So I went to another treadmill. So this guy walks over and again, watching the movie over my shoulder. So I said, you know what? I'm just going it, to it's rude. It's very rude. And if you live in New York City, you know 
Um, Jay, I'm going to get to that and you're going to appreciate it. Um, if you're on the train in New York City, you know that if you're reading a book or a magazine or whatever, nothing is more annoying than people obviously reading over your shoulder. So I decided that um, we were going to pull up a little bit of Christy Canyon, girl on girl, and I was just going to let it play, which I did. I went to RedTube, pulled up uh, some lesbian porn, and let it play for like five minutes. Needless to say, he stopped looking over my shoulder, grabbed his towel and his water bottle, and got off the treadmill, and I think he ended up going either to an elliptical someplace else or to a step mill. And, you know, I left it on for like five minutes. What's he going to do? Go and complain to the front desk that I'm watching porn? What are they going to do? Come and say, hey, man, you know, you can't be doing that here. He left. I went back to watching Justice League Doom because it's just fucking rude. It's some rude shit. Yeah, I threw on some lesbian porn and two chicks going down on each. Fuck it. That's what you get. That is what you get. I was trying to find the Lemon Party clip and I couldn't find it because I was just going to put that on and really freak that guy out. But I figured it was the first thing that came up. Christy Canyon's retro is all shit. And um, I said, fuck it. That's what you get for being nosy. But um, other than that, the dieting and, and some of the planning and, you know, trying to get people to get all their travel arrangements and shit finalized. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. And to go with what Quark says in the chat, Justice League Doom is incredible. I, I cannot recommend enough Flashpoint. Flashpoint is sick, Quark. Definitely check that out if you get a chance. Flashpoint is is badass. And I'm trying to put up the trailer for Justice League War uh, sometime this weekend, along with a review for WWE 2K14, which 2K Sports sent to us. Uh, we got it for the PS3 instead of the 360, and we got it after release date. So, you know, the, the pressure is on to get that review out, plus a couple of other reviews we're working on, The Wolf Among Us, which um, I wanted to give to one of our staff members, but I didn't really know whose schedule was open to do it, and I just didn't want to throw it on anybody. So um, reviewing that and also Painkiller, so you'll be seeing that as well, hopefully by no later than Tuesday. I'm going to try and get everything out by Wednesday. Um, yeah, we actually got a game, Cork, but not only did we get the game for the wrong system, but we got it after release. Dudes are on Twitter and Instagram like, hey, man, I got WWE 2K14 like on October 15th and shit. And I end up getting the re- I end up getting my review copy on uh, Wednesday, yesterday. I ended up getting the review copy yesterday for the PS3. And uh, preliminary impressions, just for those of you that are curious, um, very good game. Uh, the reversal system takes some getting used to. The control scheme is all right. Graphically, it looks good. But um, you know, yeah, dudes had it in 2012. But <laughs> it, it's true, man. I, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate THQ sending it to us. And, um, you know, it, it's crazy. But um, with regards to the game, like it, THQ, and, and here's the thing. A lot of guys are on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff being very vocal about it. And I'm going to get into it in the gaming segment just because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be discussed with the game. And I don't want to get into it too much in the opening monologue, but I figured I'd share that with you with regards to the wedding planning. So we're definitely going to talk about WWE 2K14. I know Jay is playing it. Quark is saying that the, um, no, THQ, THQ, um, completed the game. 2K sent it. (laughs) Fucking asshole. Quark breaking my balls. 
No, THQ finished the game. 2K got the game practically finished. And then they just added some shit. Like I said, we'll we'll get into it in the gaming segment. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss. We have uh, this past weekend's UFC event. I was going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter, but I've missed the last two weeks. So I'm not going to bullshit you guys with that. Um, of course, we got to talk Hell in the Cell. We got to talk Raw. Of course, we'll be taking your calls. We got a lot of gaming news to discuss, including tons of stuff with regards to the PlayStation 4, including um, the PS4 controllers, which people are buying left and right and putting selfies and Instagram pictures up. I want to talk about that. And of course, we got a ton of entertainment news, including some what the fuck movie news and some small screen news as well. So without any further ado, let's get the ball rolling and start with some MMA first. So UFC Fight Night 30 went down with Lyoto Machida taking on Mark Munoz in a very, very awesome card. The card had a lot of really great fights. Uh, the ladies definitely stole the show. Rosie Sexton and Jessica Andrade squared off, and they went the full tilt all three rounds. Jessica Andrade took it via unanimous decision in a very, very, very violent exchange uh, between both ladies. Uh, extremely violent ladies, as usual, stepping up, stealing the show. Thoroughly impressed with Rosie Sexton, even though she was on the losing end. I really, really respected her performance and definitely two warriors stepped in and it was an awesome, awesome fight. Luke Barnett took on Andrew Craig and very impressive performance by Barnett securing the victory with a uh, rear naked choke in the second round. Long Island's own Al Iaquinta took on Piotr Hallman and Iaquinta scored a unanimous decision. It was a pretty decent fight. wasn't terrible. Uh, Piotr Hallman looked really good in the first round. Ended up closing out the first round with a takedown, which looked really, really solid. Definitely had to give him the first round because he was just a bit more aggressive. But Iaquinta stepped it up in rounds two and three and took the fight via unanimous decision. John Lineker got a beautiful TKO via body punch in the first round in his flyweight fight against Phil Harris. And um, the fight that really, really was fantastic to watch was the Ross Pearson-Melvin Gallard fight because it started off so well, and then it just ended in a no contest due to an accidental foul. Um, it was a an illegal knee. Uh, it was ruled an illegal knee on the fence by Melvin Gallard. It was bullshit, but, um, you know, uh, Ross Pearson said he wants to do that fight again, and I'd, I'd love to see it. It started off really well. I like Melvin Gallard. He's a beast, and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with Ross Pearson as well. Now, fight of the night, main event, Lyoto Machida, Mark Munoz. Uh, Lyoto Machida separated Mark Munoz from his consciousness with a beautiful KO in the first round, three minutes and ten seconds. Just, Just really, really nice. Uh, Lyoto Machida, always a class act, even you know, even when he KO'd his opponent, uh, said that he was going to uh, take Mark Munoz out to dinner, and he actually ended up doing it, which was pretty cool. Beautiful performance by Machida. Uh, Gegard Mousasi actually issued a challenge, wants to fight Machida when, at middleweight, so definitely something to look forward to. Overall, fantastic card, solid fights from start to finish. It was 
ridiculous. Uh, with regards to bonuses, uh, $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Luke Barnett, Andrew Craig took fight of the night. Uh, Nicholas Mosuke took the submission of the night bonus. And, of course, knockout of the night went to Lyoto Machida. Now, switching gears on the Bellator side of things, um, we all know that the Bellator pay-per-view was supposed to be Saturday. Everybody was pumped to see Tito and Rampage square off and, uh, uh, you know, Eddie Alvarez and Chandler square off. But turns out that Tito Ortiz hurt his neck. I figured when, you know, he was filming a, a snuff film with Jenna Jameson, he may have thrown his neck out of whack or maybe they were practicing in the octagon and during one of the times when she was swallowing her unborn children, she may have injured Tito's neck in the process. But with that said, Tito has a fractured neck and was out of his fight with Rampage this weekend. Thus, the Bellator pay-per-view was scrapped, and we will now be getting it for free on Spike TV. Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez get the bump up to the main event, which is all good in my book. Mortis, why do you have to throw water on the fire? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I can always count on Mortis to come in here and hit us with some facts and just kill a good joke, you rat bastard. Anyway, so Tito Ortiz is out, and from what he said, he expects to be back in six weeks. I don't know how the fuck you come back from a fractured neck in six weeks, but... It seems that, you know, he went on Twitter. He said, I will have a 100% recovery and be back in the gym in six weeks. I'm a fighter and I love competition. I was doing great in training, but accidents do happen. Just time to reshuffle the deck and deal another hand. Hashtag positive minded. So six weeks. Let me get this straight. You have a fractured neck and they pretty much scrapped an entire fight and pay-per-view because you got injured and... A lot of people on Twitter were hoping that Rampage would have, um, you know, taken the fight with Tyrone Spong, which I was praying to God, Allah, Ganesh, and any other God and deity that was out there that we would get that fight. Obviously, that is not the case. And when I tell you guys who Rampage will be fighting, some of you that are really well-versed in MMA are going to be like, really? That's the fight that you guys are building up? But anyway, as I said, Tito is out, but... We're still going to get a solid Bellator card. Chandler and Eddie Alvarez, too, is going to be a fucking problem. Do yourselves a favor. If you have Spike TV, check that fight out. These guys are animals. They they had a, a fantastic fight in their first outing, and I just have a, a feeling that these guys are going to go in there, and they're going to leave it in the cage once again for their second go-around. Again, no problem with that. Rampage versus Mr. T Quark. You know what? I would actually take that fight, but it has to be Rocky Three, Mr. T. So you got to use the time machine. Um, you you got to use the time machine to bring Mr. T from Rocky Three out to fight Rampage. Honestly, I don't have a problem with Bellator giving us the card for free because, considering what they were saying about the pay per view numbers, where it was going, it was it was just gonna be it was gonna be shitty, and everybody was not gonna get the payoff they deserve because the pay-per-view numbers were garbage. Also, they shuffled around Czech Congo. Czech Congo was supposed to take on Vinicius Caros, and that was supposed to be on that card. Now, they moved Czech Congo to fight Peter Graham at Bellator 107. That's going down November 8th. That card, of course, the main card is going to be on Spike TV, and the prelims will be on Spike.com. And 
to pause on that one second and address what Mortis says. It's true. The only fight that needs to be seen is Rampage and King Mo. Um, I agree 10,000%. I endorse that. That fight needs to fucking happen. That's the money fight. That's the fight that's going to get everybody paid. But I don't know. I think Bellator is just trying to keep them separate. They don't want to fuck around with TNA, which, um, speaking of which, I want to discuss that with Jay and Quark. So I, I advise those two guys to get their their touch tones ready to call in for the wrestling segment because there's a lot to discuss on the TNA side of things. But it's true. Rampage and King Mo is the fight that needs to happen because not only is it the most competitive fight, but it's the fight that would probably generate the most buzz for Bellator. Turns out Rampage is going to end up fighting the Mexicutioner, Joey Beltran. I kid you not. Bellator put out a whole big press release and Rampage will be fighting Joey Beltran at Bellator 108 on November 15th. I have no problem, you know, with with Joey Beltran. I don't think he's a can, but he's one of those guys that's going to cater to what Rampage talked about. And what Rampage said was, you know what, man, I want dudes to go out there to stand and bang. And, and you know, I don't want to deal with these wrestlers and, these sh- and this shit. And now, what do we have? A guy that's going to stand and trade with Rampage. Giving Rampage what he wants. You know, it it kills me. Exactly. Mortis says an unmotivated Rampage should beat Beltran. I agree, but think about it. Beltran falls into the wheelhouse of exactly what Rampage wants. Guys that are going to go out there, not try to take him down, not do any ground fighting. He wants to stand and... um, you know, he wants to stand and bang with this dude. And, and you know Rampage has has cinder blocks for fists. He's going to probably kill Joey Beltran in the first round. But what kills me is the fact that you didn't do the fight with Tyrone Spong, which probably would have been a better fight to do, would have been a fight that everybody would have been talking about because you were probably worried about, you know, you know, you might be worried about Tyrone Spong making Rampage look bad. But... It is what it is. I see uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay's talking about that he's sipping a little bit, so the wrestling segment will be interesting. All right, Jay, I will keep that in mind just in case things get a little a little crazy. I will I will mute you just in case you want to uh, go and throw up or something. But anyway, as I was saying, Rampage and the thing that kills me is they put out like a press release. Oh, Rampage and Joey Beltran. I'm like, really? That's a That's a press release? That's what you guys put out? You're going to put out a press release because Rampage is fighting a guy who, again, not a scrub, but a guy who's basically going to come out there, not really take Rampage down, and is just going to stand and, 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 and swing for the fences and hope he connects. Rampage is probably either going to shoot in, maybe use the wrestling to set up some ground and pound, which is doubtful, or he may just separate his head from his body. Either way, not the fight any of us wanted to see. But... On the UFC side of things, they're definitely adding some great competitors to their roster. They recently signed Tatsuya Kawajiri, who is a fantastic, fantastic fighter. Do yourselves a favor, look him up on YouTube because he is a fucking problem. He has a record of 37-7-2. and and So the guy, the guy is, is a beast, and he actually said he wants to fight Cub Swanson when he comes into the UFC to avenge uh, Takaya's loss to Cub Swanson at WEC 37. I wouldn't mind that fight at all. I'm actually happy to see Kawajiri in the UFC. Hopefully he'll fare better and um, get some really good wins under his belt versus a lot of these other guys that are signed. 
the that I don't know, like Hatsu Hiyoki, I was super pumped that he got signed and he's just been having a tough time. Same thing with the Fireball Kid. Um, you know, Takanori Gomi, I'm a huge Gomi fan and these guys are just not faring well. Hopefully Kawajiri comes in and does damage and you know, he's he's gets on his way to uh, really having a, a successful run in the organization. Donald Cerrone is actually contemplating a drop to featherweight. According to an interview he did with the Denver Post, he was saying that, you know, with his diet right now, he can eat what he wants, and he feels that if he tightens it up and trains a little harder, he can drop down to featherweight. So uh, the Cowboy, considering a featherweight run, it should be interesting if he does that. He will be fighting Evan Dunham at UFC 167, and that's going down November 16th. Yeah, exactly, Mortis. Cowboy at featherweight is a, is a fucking problem, dude. Imagine that. He'd kill some of those dudes. He would definitely kill some of those dudes. Another guy that's in the in the news this week, of course, GSP, was asked about fighting Ben Askren. Everybody knows Ben Askren is the champion in Bellator at 170s, 12-0, undefeated. And um, GSP said that he'd love to fight him. He said he's a good fighter, undefeated. And he said it, I'll fight him, not a problem, bring him in, I'll fight anyone, I am the champion and I have no choice, so it's no problem, I am not afraid. Obviously, GSP needs to get past Johnny Hendricks first, which a lot of people are saying may be a problem, I know Ben was saying that Hendricks may be the guy to take the belt from GSP, because clearly the guy has napalm fists, it could happen, but you never know, I wouldn't mind seeing GSP and Askren, I think that fight would be Interesting because both guys like to use the smother and cover. A lot of guys, of course, are going to say that it's 25 minutes of of wet blanket offense. But, you know, make of it what you will. I see I got a communique from Suncast. Uh, What do we got here? Ah, Suncast saying that he forgot to start recording. Uh, No problem. He can start recording and we'll throw it up on YouTube. No big deal, Suncast. I will. uh, I'll, I'll make it work. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, GSP and Ben Askren is a fight everybody wants to see, but um, he has to get past Johnny Hendricks. Mortis is saying that he has Hendricks over GSP and that he hasn't picked against GSP since Matt Serra. And it was funny because I actually picked Matt Serra, and I'll tell you a, a crazy story. I actually met GSP at an autograph signing right before he fought Matt Serra, and GSP is an... A, Regardless of what people say about him, he is a cool-ass fucking dude. Super nice, just a, an, an incredible individual. And um, what ended up happening was a lot of Sarah students came wearing their Matt Sarah shirts and stuff. And I met GSP, super nice. And when I saw Sarah defeat him, it was just such a crazy sight because... Like I said, I met GSP, cool guy, super athlete. But I, I felt the connection with Matt Sarah just because local guy... You know, fights at at 170 were the same height. Mortis knows what I'm talking about. So I was, you know, I was pumped when Sarah beat GSP. But, um, you know, Johnny Hendricks is a different animal. And he's a guy that may actually have me throw some money in the fantasy MMA pool in his favor. Maybe I'll get lucky and get myself a nice payday for it. But Hendricks definitely does have a chance. I'm not sure about Askren having a chance against GSP. I think Askren is going to try and do the the shoot-in and and lay and pray for 25 minutes. I think GSP has better stand-up if that were the case, but it's a fight I definitely would like to see. 
John Dodson is getting back into the octagon, stepping in to take on Scott Jorgensen for the UFC on Fox 9 card. That's going down December 14th. Uh, fantastic card. Anthony Pettis taking on Josh Thompson, uh, defending the UFC lightweight title. Uriah Faber is taking on Michael McDonald. Matt Brown and Carlos Condit, Nick Lentz, and Chad Mendes will be on the main card. On the prelims, Mac Danzig is meeting Joe Lazan. Like I said, John Dodson, Scott Jorgensen, Pat Healy, and Jamie Varner. Uh, Edson Barboza and Danny Castillo, which is going to be an awesome fight. Kelvin Gastelum's taking on Court McGee. John Moraga's taking on Darren Uyanoyama. Roger Bowling's taking on Abel Trujillo. And Cody McKenzie would be taking on Sam Stout. But I think that I, I, I've heard different reports that Cody McKenzie was cut. I'm not 100% sure that's right. I got to do a little further research. So definitely put an asterisk next to, next to that match, uh, McKenzie and Sam Stout, until I get more information. So there you have it. That's actually going to wrap up this week's MMA news. Hopefully I'll catch up on the Ultimate Fighter this week and we can discuss that. But I will say... From what I've been hearing, the season is really starting to pick up. The ladies, as usual, are just stealing all the shine from the fellas this season. And um, the last two fights I heard were fantastic. So hopefully I'll catch up this weekend once I uh, get some errands and shit under my belt. But in any event, like I said, that's going to wrap up MMA for this week. Let's get into some wrestling, shall we? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! The World Wrestling Federation, for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Go! If you close your eyes, your life, and make it truth revealed. Treat you never lived, it's God never healed. In the darkness, light will take you to the other side. All right, so first thing we're going to talk about is Hell in the Cell, which had a lot going for it. A lot of people were were really, really excited for this card because there were a, a solid, solid amount of matches going on. And one of the matches that really jumped off and, and got my attention was the Kofi Kingston and Damian Sandow match. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of you guys are probably like, why would you care about that match? Blah, blah, blah. And... um. The reason I cared about that match is because Damian Sandow has been getting, I want to say he's, I don't want to say he's been getting jobbed out left and right, but he hasn't been getting what you would expect from a guy that is running around with a money in the bank briefcase. He is pretty much getting the Ziggler treatment, which is, look, I'm a guy that's on the cusp of main event status, but I'm just going to do the job to everybody possible left and right. Now, Two things about that match. Damian Sandow and Kofi Kingston had really good chemistry. And I did not know that the other finisher that Damian Sandow had was called You're Welcome. As far as I remember, the finisher that he used was the Terminus, which was the, um, you know, the necktie into kind of the regal cutter. And now he's doing that full Nelson slam, which looks fucking shitty as hell. I actually like the the Terminus finisher better just because the setup is really nice. And I like that when he does it, he drops and he kind of rolls into uh, the pin or rolls into standing right back up. Definitely really, really cool. Um, you know, it's one of those things that really got my attention. Uh, ah, thank you, Mortis. See, that that's the thing. I really don't like... 
um, full Nelson slam finishers because they really don't look super effective. Like, think about it. Look at let's look at at, at John Cena's attitude adjustment. We all know John Cena's attitude adjustment is a glorified fireman's carry, which if you've done any amateur wrestling, you know is not in any shape, way, or form a dangerous or or complex move. It's just a a simple toss over the shoulder. But, you know, in John Cena's case, it's the end-all, be-all. That's the thing. Like, the full Nelson slam is, you know, you, you interlock your fingers, and when you pick the guy up, it's basically ending in a back bump. I only feel that the full Nelson slam is an effective finisher when you're talking about a guy like like imagine the big show doing a full Nelson into a full Nelson slam. You have a guy that's, you know, up to my fucking ceiling doing it, so it looks effective. It's the same thing like with Kane when he does the choke slam, like taller guys make that look more effective. If Damian Sandow did that move on uh, an Evan Bourne or Rey Mysterio or a Sin Cara, it would look a little bit more it would look a little bit more impactful. But it really doesn't. It looks, you know, it, I, I, it looks safer. I think that the Terminus was just, it was, it had so much finesse. It just looked apropos for a guy who prides himself on being intellectually superior. Because, like I said, it was nice. It was flashy. It worked. It worked extremely well. But, again, Kofi Kingston really made Damian Sandow look very good in this match. And it was an impressive match. Now, one of the high points of this pay-per-view was the triple threat match um, with the Shield, the Usos, and of course uh, Rhodes Dust. If you wanna, if you wanna go that route, uh, a couple of things I really liked. I had some really awesome spots uh, throughout the match. All all three teams had incredible chemistry, and one of the things I took from this match is the fact that the Usos are really in that upper echelon. They really are in that upper echelon of of guys that are, that belong in tag in the tag team division that can carry the tag team division, and I'll tell you why. These guys, they come out, they've been getting jobbed out left and right, and now they're starting to build some momentum, and the crowd connects with them. You know, when they come out and they do the Siba Tao, which is just an amazing entrance, and they do it with no microphones, and the crowd is really into it, and the crowd chants with them, and they're really digging it. I think that. They've connected with the crowd in such a way that they're really bona fide fan favorites. Now, when you look at them in comparison to Goldust and Cody Rhodes, I want to reference what Jay said a couple of weeks ago. Jay was like, when he was doing a recap on the fan page, he said, wow, I'm actually starting to give a fuck about Cody Rhodes. And it's funny because he's not the only person that has said that. I like Cody Rhodes. I've always felt Cody Rhodes... Is, is a guy that's going to be a major player in the future. But I always felt that he never really had... I only think that the, that the best Cody Rhodes we saw prior to this was when he was wearing the mask and giving out the bags. You know, I pray every day. That, that Cody Rhodes with his weird monotone voice, that's the only time that I felt Cody Rhodes was really running on all cylinders. That's not to say that Cody Rhodes is garbage because he's not. You know, it, it, exactly. To Quark says, Cody Rhodes has always had a great gimmick. The WWE just never used him right. It's true. Dashing Cody Rhodes was was awesome. Um, he, his gimmicks were always, they weren't too over the top, but they weren't your run-of-the-mill gimmicks. They were, you know, they were definitely 
kind of right there. Now, the thing that gets me with this match is that, again, the Shield continue to establish that they are, you know, top players in, in the tag team division. Uh, as usual, Seth Rollins does the bulk of the selling. He pretty much plays the guy that eats most of the big bumps and Reigns comes in and, um, you know, does a lot of the, a lot of the power moves. The thing that gets me, though, is that even, even the way that the finish went was, was apropos because Cody hit crossroads, Goldust took Reigns out, and, and the Usos were, you know, they really got in a way that didn't make them look weak. Like the you know the Cody Rhodes and Goldust won that match, but nobody looked weak. It's simple as that. Nobody looked weak in this match whatsoever. All three teams had a lot of a lot of power uh, going into this match. Each each team had great momentum going in, and frankly, had they given the belts to the Shield or given the belts to the Usos. It wouldn't have hurt any of the te- any of the participants of this match whatsoever because, like I said, they were they were on all cylinders and they were a great opening contest to get the pay per view rolling. Then that came to a screeching halt when uh, you know Miz comes out, gets into some shit with Bray Wyatt, Kane makes his return, and then proceeds to murder Death Kill the Miz. Thank you. You're welcome. Moving on. So. After that bit of that, that little bit of angle advancement and the return of Kane, we had ourselves an impromptu, if you want to even call it that, mixed tag match, which uh, it was, you know. Oh my God! Ah! 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 You got knocked the fuck out, man. That's pretty much how that went. It was, it was, I, I would have rather be hit with a sledgehammer in the face than eat, than let my eyes eat any of that content that was on my television screen. You had the great Kali coming out like a fucking zombie, and, and it's like, it, why don't you just throw some makeup on him and put him in The Walking Dead? Maybe have Rick Grimes, like, put a hatchet in his chest or something. He comes out... Uh, Natalia, I'm like, yo, get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry. The great Kali was probably the man when he was like 22 and, you know, he was getting, he was getting over the counter steroids and shit, but he's, 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 he's a travesty. He is a travesty. And you know what the problem is? It's like oddities 2k 14 right now. That's what it is. That's what it, it, it's the next generation of fucking oddities. And Hornswoggle, poor Hornswoggle. I, I don't dislike him. You know, he's going to be in the new leprechaun flick, so he needs to do something. But you look at the great Kali and it's like, it's like, dude, you like I said, send him out on a fucking segue. Like if I were going to if I were booking this, the great Kali would be an enforcer for like Brad Maddox or something just where it's like. He comes out, he chops somebody in the fucking head, and that's it. But seriously, and and definitely get Natalia out of there. Get her the fuck out of there. Hornswoggle versus El Torito for the reinstated Cruiserweight Championship. Mortis, I would probably watch that with a smile on my face, even though I hate that gimmick. But, um, again, the the great Kali, I, I, I hate shitting on the guy. Because the guy is, um, 
he's he's a he's a train wreck. He really is a train wreck. And and I don't understand what does the WWE just want to beat him to fucking death? It's it, I I don't understand. Do they do you want this guy to be a vegetable? Do you want him to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life? He can barely walk. And you know what kills me? He goes out there and he's the guy that you send out there when you want somebody to do a big spot. You want Antonio Cesaro to do the big swing? Send the great Kali out there. You want uh, Mark Henry to gorilla press somebody and make it look impressive? Send the great Kali out there. You want the Undertaker to choke slam somebody? Send the great Kali out there. You know, but it, it was just it was just bullshit. It's complete bullshit what they're doing with this guy. And Mortis was saying in the chat, I thought they were going to take Natalia out of the group when they announced her married to Tyson Kidd. Uh, her marriage to, to Tyson Kidd. It's true. They should have. They should have. And not for nothing. You should have put Natalia with Tyson Kidd and maybe had her manage the tag team of Kidd and Justin Gabriel. You know, it's it's crazy. And I was going to talk about Los Locales, which was uh, Ricardo Rodriguez and Tyson Kidd under a mask. It was it was it was funny. It was cool. But here's the my problem with that entire gimmick. You have a, a solid mid-carder in Tyson Kidd, last graduate of the Hart Family Dungeon. The, 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 the gimmick writes itself. He should be out there with Natalia putting ass whoopings on everybody. Tyson Kidd is good on the mic, has great, great presence, and you get a mix of not only technical wrestling and high-flying. But instead, what we get is him doing the jobber gimmick with Ricardo. No disrespect, but Tyson Kidd has a has a lot to offer. He does. He's one of those guys that's 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 un you kind of want to say that he's an unpolished diamond. He's just there. He's 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 coal that hasn't been finished into a diamond yet. That's what it is. It, you know, Tyson Kidd is he, he's got he's got a lot going for him. Mortis says that Tyson looks a lot like Crash Holly, though. I think that's what's holding him back. I think of Elroy Jetson. Jesus Christ. Uh, now I got to watch a Tyson Kidd match and see if that's accurate. Uh, Crash Holly Crash Holly had a unique look to him. Crash Holly did look like Elroy fucking Jetson, that's for sure. But that match, that mixed tag match, holy shit, was that terrible. But at least we were redeemed with Dean Ambrose taking on Biggie Langston since uh, Curtis Axel got hurt, which I'll discuss later on. And they had a fantastic match. And the beauty of it was that Biggie Langston defeated Dean Ambrose via countout. It didn't hurt Ambrose. The spot, the spear spot that they did with Langston spearing Ambrose through the ropes was tremendous. It was a beautiful fucking spot. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty badass. But the thing that gets me with that entire chain of events was that you see how how solid Biggie Langston is. You really got to focus on getting him in, in getting him on TV more often because Biggie Langston, he has the look. His mic work is it needs a little work, but I think it, it would be good. And Ambrose made him look like a boss in that match. Quark, Quark says, I wish that Ziggler and Biggie would have went face together and dominated the tag team division. You know what? I think that would have worked, but here's the problem with that that I feel. Um, Jay, we're going to talk about that, so save, save that for when you guys call in. Uh, with Ziggler and Biggie, here's the problem. 
Ziggler and Biggie would have been a solid tag team, but the problem is that Ziggler is just so he's so upper echelon, and Biggie is definitely coming along. But Ziggler's the guy; he should have got a better run with the belt. He he's the, he's the guy that he's ready. He has good bumps. The crowd was really into him when when Dolph Ziggler was red hot was when he should have had a good run with the belt, but obviously injuries fucked him up, and allegedly management just felt that he wasn't main event material. And I disagree. I mean, I I pose this question to you guys, and I want to see what you guys say in the chat. When you look at Dolph Ziggler as a performer, do you see him as a guy that can carry the company as a main eventer? I'm curious to see what you guys say. Because I've seen I've seen a couple of guys that feel that Ziggler's too small. Uh, a couple of other guys that I've talked to have said that Ziggler is is definitely the guy that can carry the organization, whether as a heel or as a face. So I'm curious to see what you guys have to say because I I feel Ziggler is the guy that if you groom him correctly, he he would be that guy to take that company to the next level. You know, but it. it to Quark is saying that Del Rio, you know, they they ran with Del Rio, and um, it, it's it's funny that you bring up Del Rio, and I'm going to discuss that as well because Del Rio has a lot of different things that hinder him. But like I said, I'll discuss that later on. Uh, Slick says Ziggler is bigger than Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan is killing shit. And uh, Quark says if they pushed him, he could have been God. It's true. See, that's that's the thing. I, I look at Dolph Ziggler and I don't see, you know, a guy who's who's a schlub. I, I really don't. I don't see a curtain jerker. I don't see a jobber. I see a guy that was created by the WWE machine. Think about it. This was a guy, he was in the Spirit Squad. He was Kerwin White's fucking caddy. Then, then he got the Dolph Ziggler gimmick and he's ran with it. And... Like, the guy's paid his dues. Like, I don't understand how creative can say that Dolph Ziggler was, is, you know, not a main eventer. And Jay says that social media killed Dolph Ziggler. You know, I, I agree to a degree because Dolph Ziggler is, is very opinionated. And the thing is that I think he forgets that when he shares his opinions on, on social media, that people are listening. Like, like management is, is reading that shit. I think that's the problem. You know, the guy says, uh, he says some really legit shit. Like, he put a really underhanded comment towards Damian Sandow where he was like, good job, Damian Sandow, in that match translation. Good job jobbing out to John Cena. Now, I could be wrong in, in the way that that's interpreted, but that's what it looked like because Dolph Ziggler's a guy that likes to make veiled commentary. And, it's, and it, he's gotten in trouble for it before. So... I think with regards to social media and what Jay is saying, I think that's the problem. I think sometimes Dolph Ziggler forgets that what he says on social media is going to be scrutinized not only by the fans, but by management. So if he says something about like a Triple H in a in an underhanded sort of way, it's like you working a real job and saying something about your jo- your your boss on Facebook and being friends with one of your boss's friends on Facebook. You know it's going to get back to your manager. You know it's going to get back to your boss, and you're going to be in the shithouse. And I think that's where Dolph Ziggler's problem lies. He forgets that he's, you know, he, he's a, he forgets that he's a public face, that his opinions are public record. Like, people can capture... 
the your tweets and you can embed them on websites. You know? That's what happens. And Quark says after the WWE fucked them with the belt, I'd kill them all on Twitter. Fuck that. And it's funny that you say that because that's what he's doing. But the problem is that WWE is still very uh, grade school. Like, you know, your opinions have to fall in line with management. You speak bad about management. If you're not John Cena and you speak bad about management, prepare to get fucked. If you're not The Undertaker, prepare to get fucked. That's how it works. If you are a member of the WWE roster and you say something ill about management and you're not a main event player that brings in a fuckload of money with merchandise, you are getting shit on. Look at Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder, you know, Jay says social media created and killed Zack Ryder. It did. But that's because Zack Ryder uh, got himself into a corner. He created his own gimmick, ran with it, made him popular. But when he wasn't getting TV time, he fucked himself. Because he was like, oh, man, I'm not getting TV time. Maybe I'll get on Raw this week. And who knows? Sometimes a lot of this shit is a work. It is. But a lot of times there's, there's definitely valid opinions there. Especially, you know, we, we can use the Triple H promo from, you know, where he shit on a lot of the other wrestlers, you know, Chris Jericho, RVD, and those guys. And, like, a lot of people said, hey, you know, he was working the crowd. But some people felt that his comments, even though they were worked, they were legitimate. So, take it take it for what it's worth. Yeah, does anybody, does anybody hear JTG bitching? No. It's funny. It's funny because I'm sure the JTG meme will come up now that you brought him up, Jay. But it's true. Ziggler, Ziggler's mouth is what gets him in trouble. Uh, tremendously talented guy, but until he starts bringing in, you know, John Cena money, Daniel Bryan money, you know, merchandise wise, he, he's always going to be in the shit house, which is unfortunate because the guy's incredibly, incredibly talented. Anyway. The two-on-one handicap match with CM Punk, Ryback, and Paul Heyman was surprisingly better than their previous outings. Of course, it pretty much closed the door on their feud. And I want to get into this a little bit because there were rumors that have been floating around for the past couple of weeks that um, Ryback has really been... People have gotten sour on Ryback because they feel that he works too reckless, he's injured a lot of the guys he's been in matches with, including CM Punk, again, allegedly, and um, they're saying that they're actually going to separate him from Paul Heyman, and then, you know, the Ryback experiment is for all intents and purposes over, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more when we talk about Raw, but you can see that the way this match was paced, CM Punk looked amazing in this match. He he had, he delivered great spots and he really put the kibosh on on Ryback like completely like that just put that put the exclamation point on that feud and shut the door which um you know it it is what it is I here's the problem Quark says it sounds too weird but you know what the problem is with Ryback when you look at where Ryback was where he is now, and what happened to Ryback on Raw with CM Punk, which I'm not going to get into until we start talking about Raw, it kind of seems like that that the rumors may be legit. So we'll discuss that in the in, you know later on in the Raw portion of the wrestling segment. Uh, Los Matadores took on the Real Americans 
in a pretty decent match. I felt that for the amount of buildup that they were doing with these guys, they wouldn't put them together so quickly. Um, the Cesaro swing spot, as always, looked incredibly good. Los Matadores got the victory with the double-team finisher on Jack Swagger, which, of course, you can see that Jack Swagger did the job because, you know, they don't want to... Now they don't want to hurt Antonio Cesaro. They're like, fuck it, let Jack Swagger eat all the pinfalls, which is fine, whatever. It is what it is. But it wasn't the worst match in the world. Obviously, you know, you guys are well aware of my thoughts on the uh, Matadores gimmick, but whatever, it, it, worked, it worked well. It was all right. So John Cena and Del Rio was, you know, it was about a 15-minute match. The typical John Cena spots, Super Cena in full effect. It, it was a no-brainer that Del Rio was going to drop the belt to Cena. Nobody in their right mind, um, nobody in their right mind felt that Del Rio was keeping that belt. It was funny because Quark went into the, the, the fan page that Sunday night and he was like, am I the only one that's kind of excited for that Cena's coming back? And it's weird because absence makes the heart grow fonder. And the reason I say that is because do I want John Cena involved with Daniel Bryan or CM Punk or in that title picture? No. Do I want him to take the belt from Del Rio? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Del Rio, for as much as they like Del Rio and they feel that he's going to be this this apex villain, this top of the food chain villain, Del Rio sucks. Thank you, Slick. He does. I'm just I'm just not a fan. I mean, his wrestling is okay, but he he needs Ricardo. Thank you, Slick. Slick Slick is on point tonight. He's very one dimensional. You know, he comes out. The only thing that he does well is that he cuts promos in Spanish and he legitimately shits on the audience. I'm sure you know Jay Jay knows Spanish, and um, when you hear his promos in Spanish and you translate them, he leg- exactly he calls them bitches. He calls them dogs. Oh, he'll be like, ustedes son unos perros, unos sucio. And I'm like, holy shit. You basically just called the audience a pack of dogs and said that they're filthy. Like, it's legitimate. Like, I'm like, holy shit. It's it's insane that Del Rio gets away with what he gets away with because, you know, they, they you know, Vince doesn't fucking know. Go out there and talk that Mexican jibber jabber, damn it. Uh, uh, Vince, what what do you want me to say? Go out there and, and call them sons of bitches. The censors won't know, damn it. They won't know. And, you know, Del Rio comes out, he calls people motherfuckers and, and perros and sucios and pendejos. He, 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 call, he called the guy a pendejo on air, which, you know, depending on what type of Spanish you, you know, you, you follow, whether it's, you know, Castilian Spanish or Puerto Rican Spanish, uh, pendejo can mean a couple of different things. Sucker, asshole. It's, it's, you know, Quark, that should have made him the million-dollar Mexican. Fuck it, why not? Yo, he should have came out and put a peso in somebody's mouth after he beat them. Fuck it. He takes just Mexican pesos out, which you know are worth like five cents, and he fucking just shoves one down somebody's throat. You know, it's it's hilarious. Like, I, I would have loved that because you'd see JBL like, Alberto Del Rio comes out with pesos. You know they're not worth anything. Oh, JBL just being a full-on racist Republican asshole. Oh, it would have been fantastic. Who does 
Del Rio think he is shoving money in people's mouths when the money's not even worth the paper it's printed on? Like, that shit would have been hilarious. Just Del Rio coming out talking shit, shoving a peso in somebody's fucking mouth. Ah, come on, man. It would have been great. It would have been fantastic. But you know what we do? No, we're going to take Del Rio and just make him Mexican JBL. Here's the reason why JB why why JBL works. JBL works because he is the epitome of what the Republican Party is. JBL is 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 a caricature of the Republican Party. That's why he works. You can't put Mexican and Republican in the same fucking sentence. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. It, it's 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 not something that's remotely viable. Del Rio coming out there trying to be JBL, it doesn't work because real Americans, you know, the real Americans are going to be like, what Mexican guy has money like that? Fuck out of here. Like if you would have said Alberto Del Rio is like a drug dealer, that would have been kind of cool. Like he comes out and he's like, oh, I'm a millionaire in Mexico. And, you know, you have you have Ricardo come out dressed like a vato and shit. And he's walking around backstage and you see him in like little corners backstage doing like dealings and shit. Fuck it. Why not? Just make him a, a Mexican drug lord. There you go. Just just have Ricardo Rodriguez with a fucking essay shirt opened up. Fucking, hey, hey, I, I got that stuff for you, man. I got that stuff for you. And then, you know, you see him giving Del Rio some money and just, you know, fuck it. Why not? Why the fuck not? Because that's the only way Del Rio is remotely interesting. I'm sorry. You're telling me that Del Rio is a Mexican aristocrat. Since when? Do, do Mexican aristocrats don't even fucking exist. You should have just fucking made him Tuco from Breaking Bad. Just give him that gimmick. He comes out. He's all high and shit talking to himself with a fake gun. Fuck it. There you go. Alberto Del Rio is fucking Tuco. From now on, he comes out. Hey, Hey, this is good shit, man. This is good shit. Like, that would have worked. Del Rio as fucking Tuco from Breaking Bad would have been better than anything that's going on with him right now. I'm serious. I'm fucking serious. Because that's what it is. Del Rio, he comes out, and you're saying that he's a Mexican aristocrat. What the fuck does that even mean? Where? How many Mexican aristocrats do we know? I'm, I'm serious. How many newspapers do we open or Forbes magazines do we open when there are Mexican aristocrats? What the fuck does that mean? If you would have said, hey, he's from Spain and he's an aristocrat, he's part of, you know, uh, Spanish parliament or something. Fuck it. That would have been more believable. But you have him come out and he's just like, oh, Mexican aristocrat. Why? Because he has a fucking scarf on. Because he's wearing a fucking pashmina? I'm supposed to take him seriously that he has more money than I do? Fuck him. He's got a fucking suit from Caraco or men's wa- a men's warehouse special, three for $300. And I'm supposed to feel that that motherfucker has more money than me. Get the fuck out of here. Like, it looked believable when he came out with the cars and shit. Like, I, like that worked. Get out. Ugh. That's what annoys me. Like, WWE comes up with all these great gimmicks, and then they go with Mexican aristocrat. We're going to give you the Mexican aristocrat gimmick. Since when? I'm serious. Forbes. uh, Fortune 500. 
You know, let's be serious. Where do we see a Mexican aristocrat? What the fuck is that? Like an aristocrat would be somebody who's, who's, you know, part of the royal family. Is there a Mexican royal family I don't know about? I'm serious. Like, 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 is there a king of Mexico? And I'm not talking like taco king, but like a legit king. Because you're talking about that this guy's an aristocrat. Like fucking Don Diego from Zorro and shit. Fuck it. Why not just make Alberto Del Rio Zorro? Like the same way Gregory Helms was the hurricane, Alberto Del Rio should be fucking Zorro. That's it. Alberto Del Rio should just be fucking Zorro. Just all of a sudden he disappears and and he fucking scratches A's on the fucking walls. If you can make two Puerto Ricans fucking matadors, then you can make Alberto Del Rio Zorro. That's it. He comes out. Hey, did you see that? Oh, wow, there's an A on the wall. You know, he he's defender of the oppressed. Fucking Zorro. Seriously, like, fucking Del Rio. It's just, to, to borrow what Val said, WWE creative equals failed history and English in high school. Yes. Seriously, like, think about it. Remember the hurricane stand back and, and you know, mild-mannered reporter Gregory Helms would run into the back and all of a sudden stand back there's an ass whooping coming through. Now it's like, fuck it. You know, just just make Del Rio Zorro. Mortis says they already have Los Matadores, though. The audience wouldn't know the difference between Mexicans, Spaniards, and Puerto Ricans. You are a thousand percent right. Quark, you should you should fucking create the million dollar Mexican in the game. Give Alberto Del Rio the million dollar belt and just create like million dollar man taunts. It, you know, it's 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 crazy. It's really, really crazy that Del Rio, he comes in. Vince McMahon loves him, according to what they're saying. They're like, oh, man, you know, Vince McMahon is high on Alberto Del Rio. They think Del Rio is the shit. And I'm like, but why? What about Alberto Del Rio, other than the fact that he looks like a reject from a soap opera on Telemundo, makes him marketable? I know Hispanics. I know legit Mexicans that think that Alberto Del Rio is fucking garbage. Like, I know dudes that are Hispanic. I'll be like, yo, who's your favorite Hispanic wrestler? You know what I get? Rey Mysterio. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. Yo, who's your favorite Hispanic wrestler? Rey Mysterio. Not Sin Cara, not Alberto Del Rio, Rey Mysterio. Period. I Anybody, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Mexicans, Ecuadorians, Guatemalans, I've asked them all the same question. Yo, who's your favorite Hispanic wrestler? They all say the same thing. Rey Mysterio. Nobody else. And you know what's funny? I say to them, I'm like, but are you saying Rey Mysterio because he's the only Hispanic wrestler you know? And a lot of the guys that I know are seasoned wrestling fans. They, you know, they mention Carlito. They mention Savio Vega. Uh, they mention, you know, they, they, they mention Primo and Epico. They mention a lot of these guys, Tito Santana, and you can go down a list of, of, of solid Hispanic wrestlers, but almost all of them have said Rey Mysterio. I, only one guy said Eddie Guerrero Strider. It's funny you say that. Only one guy I know was like, yo, Eddie Guerrero was my dude, legitimately. But that guy, he was an older guy, and he actually watched a lot of the Mexican luchadors, so he's familiar with the Guerrero family, so he knows, you know, Mando, Chavo, all those guys, so... I can understand where he's coming from, but most guys, most Hispanic guys, 
you know, in my age group in their 30s say that Rey Mysterio was their favorite wrestler, their favorite Hispanic wrestler. You know, I, I for me, I like Tito Santana was a favorite. I like Savio Vega. You know, I, I it's it's different, you know, for everybody. But it's funny that nobody says it's Alberto Del Rio. And you see Vince McMahon, he's trying so hard to make this guy like like the face of for Hispanic fans. And it, it just doesn't work. It does not work. It's the same thing with you saying, hey, I want Kofi Kingston to be the number one wrestler for African-American fans. It's not going to work because Kofi Kingston is too fucking like like you ask legit black people. Yo, is Kofi Kingston your favorite wrestler? You know what I get? Fuck out of here. You know what I get? I get Ahmed Johnson, Farouk, Junkyard Dog, Mark Henry. I get a lot of Mark Henry. A lot of people say, yo, Mark Henry's that dude. Um, like I said, you know, Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson was awesome. Booker T and, and Stevie Ray, of course, Harlem Heat were, were tremendous. Not GI Bro, but like Harlem Heat. Nobody says Booker T by himself. Strider, they only say Harlem Heat, but that's because, you know, we coming for you, nigga. You know, like, Tony Atlas, you know what the problem is with Tony Atlas, Mortis? Not a lot of people know him because these are younger guys. Like, we know about Tony Atlas because we're fans, but, like, people will say Junkyard Dog or they'll say um, Coco Beware before they say Tony Atlas. That's, that's, That's it. Jay says Del Rio has money owed to him by WWE for bringing over immigrant workers for cheap labor. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I could talk about Del Rio being a Mexican drug lord for not so much Special Delivery Jones, but what the hell? You know why I liked, uh, what the hell's his name? His finisher was called the Ghetto Blaster. Fuck, what the hell? Bad News Brown. I was a huge fan of of Bad News Brown. Bad News Brown was a fucking problem. He was a fucking problem. His finisher was called the Ghetto Blaster. How fucking awesome is that? Virgil actually sells his autographs in a train station in New York City. So it's funny you mentioned that, Mortis. I have seen him. I have seen Virgil. But Virgil... (sighs) Poor, poor Virgil. Anyway, let me stop. Because if I get into my Virgil rant, it'll be... (laughs) Val says, fuck Virgil. (laughs) <laughs> fuck. yo Val is not giving a fuck about Virgil in the chat room anyway let's move along AJ took on Brie Bella which I actually thought they were going to give Brie Bella the belt but I don't know creative decided hey we're going to leave it with AJ for the time being uh, you know a lot of a lot of websites were reporting that Brie and Daniel Bryan were both going to win and walk out with the gold at Hell in the Cell obviously Brie Bella losing kind of kibosh that. But the main event match was, it was pretty good. But the funny thing was that the screw job, it's crazy because when I talked about this the week prior before we took the break, I said, oh, you know, the screw job is either going to be Shawn Michaels helping Daniel Bryan because he was his his pupil or Shawn Michaels helping Triple H because it's his boy. So, any way you sliced it, Shawn Michaels was kicking somebody in the fucking face. We we all knew it was going to happen. Now, here's the thing. Remember a couple of weeks back, we were talking about people being unsatisfied with the main events because there weren't any legitimate endings 
Now, Randy Orton winning the belt, make of it what you will. Randy Orton winning the belt, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but here's the thing. When Daniel Bryan finally wins and gets over on the authority, the people are really going to appreciate it because it's been such a hard-fought battle. So, again, I wasn't really a fan of the ending because you could see it a mile away, but the the payoff, hopefully, if Daniel Bryan wins, um, you know, it's... It's going to be bittersweet. And Quark, Quark makes a very valid point. He goes, let this sink in. Randy Orton and Cena both have the belts. Welcome to 2009. Not only that, but Randy Orton and John Cena are also best friends. So, you know, it's kind of like Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Just a new generation with Cena and Orton. It's, it's you know, Brian probably is going to win the Rumble. And if he doesn't, maybe CM Punk will win the Rumble. You know. It, it Yep. Jay makes a valid point. This story is known as the A story, meaning till WrestleMania. It's true. This is going to probably go on, and they're going to throw the Wyatts in there, and we're going to talk about that later on as well. But overall, I think Hell in the Cell was a solid pay-per-view. Um, you know, minus that mixed tag match, all the matches were pretty good. A lot of guys really showed some tremendous guts, uh, primarily, you know, Biggie Langston, and um, really looked good in his match. Damian Sandow, Ambrose, really stepped up their game on the, on the pay-per-view and they looked really good. You know, it's funny. I played a 60, the, uh, I did the, uh, falls count, not the falls count anywhere match, uh, two out of three falls in two K third and two K 13 and, uh, two K 14. Was it two K 14? Whatever the new WWE game. Cause my notes are all fucked up. Anyway, I did a, um, two out of three falls match with, with Brian and punk and, yeah, I was playing it, and it was fun, but I I really do think that that would be an awesome main event, you know? Uh, yes, I saw that, Mortis. I saw that you created Slick in WWE 2K14. I did, I did indeed see that, but I don't understand why you created Slick when you could have just uh, dressed up Biggie Langston. Biggie Langston is Slick. I, I kid you not. Biggie, Slick, I, I don't hear from him for a couple of days. And then Biggie Langston comes out on Raw and kills somebody dead. Biggie Langston is Slick. I'm telling you. Slick and Biggie Langston are the same guy. Slick goes, he jumps into a fucking time chamber, comes out, he's Biggie Langston, he just fucks people up. That's what happens. You know what happens when customers call Slick and they piss him off? He goes to their house and gives them the fucking big ending. He knocks on their door and he said, yo, what the fuck? And just drops him with the big ending. That's what Slick does. Slick is the master of the big ending. There you go. Slick is big E. Anyway, let's switch gears and get into Monday Night Raw because Raw was surprisingly effective this week. I I think that's the best way to say it. Raw was effective. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, why, you know, why would you want to call classify Raw as being effective? I'll tell you why. Raw opened up with John Cena coming out and, you know, oh, yeah, the champ is here. Look at my fucking belt and my giant elbow pad and my fucking pink shirt and my pink hat and breast cancer awareness. And I'm going to fuck you up. Typical John Cena promo. Damian Sandow comes out, cashes in his money in the bank. Everybody goes crazy. And here's the funny thing. The reasoning, allegedly, 
that they went with Damian Sandow cashing it in was because they wanted to compete against Monday Night Football. How accurate is that? Couldn't fucking tell you. Don't know. I don't even remember what the Monday Night game was. What was the Monday Night game, Jay? And was it good enough that Damian Sandow's cashing in of Money in the Bank prevented you from watching it? I'm curious because allegedly that was the rumor. They wanted to put that out there and really get people involved in, Excuse me. instead of tuning in for Monday Night Football. Now, here's my problem with this entire match. The match itself was good, but there was some really, really good storytelling going on. You, you know, Damian Sandow was working the arm, then John Cena hurt his knee, then they were talking about the doctor possibly stopping the match, and then all of a sudden, all of a fucking sudden, John Cena hits the attitude adjustment with a bum arm and a bum knee and wins. Now, it was a fantastic outing by Damian Sandow, but here's let's do some armchair booking for a second. I would have rather the doctor stop the match, say Cena can't continue, and Damian Sandow would, would cut promos for the next week or two saying, I beat John Cena, I am the uncrowned WWE champion. I think it would have it worked better, it would have made both guys look good, Wow, there's a fucking mosquito in here. It's fucking 50 degrees out. Why is there a mosquito in this room? Anyway, seriously, I think that would have worked better because think about it. Think of the beating that John Cena's surgically repaired arm took in that match. Think about it. Think about the beating that it took. All of a sudden, you know, his knee gives out when he does the top rope, you know, when he comes off the top rope. He hurts his knee, but no, no, bum knee, and all of a sudden, attitude adjustment, and the match is over. I don't understand that, because that, that, I understand it's Super Cena, and you want to give him this monster push, but let's be realistic, bum arm, bum knee, still wins. Like I said, I would have rather the doctor comes out, and he would have been like, yo, we got to stop the match. He can't continue. And John Cena's like, no, 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 I can continue. And the doctor would have been like, nope, won't work. And it would have just looked better. I was really impressed that Sandow actually tried the um, the pile driver. Uh, obviously, we knew he wasn't going to pull it off because only John C- I mean, uh, CM Punk can do that. But definitely props for uh, Damian Sandow trying that out because it was, you know, it was definitely pretty cool. Uh Fucking mosquito. Got you, you son of a bitch. You're fucking dead. 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 Like Dean Ambrose says, he's dead. Anyway, I here's, here's the thing. Damian Sandow, even though he lost that match, he really, really, really hit the upper echelon. Damian Sandow proved he can hang in the main event, and he looked good in that match. He looked tremendous in that match. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he got jobbed out. I want to say something. What Jay Jay said on Facebook a couple of weeks, a couple of days back, you know, the mosquito, you know, not the mosquito equals buried, but, you know, the misuse of the word buried. And here's the thing. My Take Radio, our staff, we know about buried. We know all about it. Just ask Quark. Quark and fucking Blade know about buried. They know the epitome of what buried is. Fuck, they spotlight guys on Buried. But besides that, 
Buried would imply that the guy in the match on the losing end was made to look like a complete and utter bitch. This was not the case. On the contrary, Damian Sandow not only had a lot of offense, he made Cena you know, look like he was in jeopardy of losing the belt, but he actually was able to get legitimate offense in that made the match look competitive. Damian Sandow was not buried he was not any of you uh, any of you keyboard warriors or wrestling pundits or you know guys that fucking troll uh you know wrestle zone do yourselves a favor stop saying damian sandow got buried on monday he did not creative fucked it up because they could have done it better They could have done it, like I said, Doctor would have stopped the match, it would have kept both guys strong, but either way, Damian Sandow was extremely competitive. John Cena even acknowledged it. They used on Twitter, they used a couple of different things, like, yo, you know, Damian Sandow really looked good in that match. The thing that got me was the fact that Jim Ross on his blog said it. He said, this was Damian Sandow's breakout moment. This was the moment that you said Damian Sandow reached the upper level. And I do agree. I think that going out there, putting on a great match with John Cena, I guarantee you probably within the next year, Damian Sandow will hold a major singles title. Whether it's World Heavyweight Championship or WWE Championship, he will hold one. His match work against John Cena was fantastic. It really was. Seriously. It's it's something that that really people, oh, you know, Damian Sandow, he got buried. How did he get buried? You know who got buried on Monday night? Ryback. Ryback got fucking buried. Seriously. Ryback got buried, and we're going to talk about that. So, Dean Ambrose cut a, a promo... And he said that he's going to defend his U.S. title against Biggie Langston. And he was saying that he is the only member of the Shield with a belt. Now, the beauty of this promo, besides the fact that Dean Ambrose is fucking God on the mic, was the fact that there were seeds of dissension being teased amongst the Shield. You saw, you know, when he said that, the 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 look that, that Roman Reigns gave Dean Ambrose, you could see that that it was it was it was going to happen. It, the, the breakup is imminent and not only that but Seth Rollins also had the look of yo man why are you making us look like like assholes so I like where it's going do I feel that the shield needs to be broken up at this point no I think that the problem with the shield was that when the Wyatt family came along the pet project of the shield took a back seat that's what happened as soon as the the Wyatt family started gaining traction and, you know, the, the Wyatt family became a Triple H project, you knew that it was the end of the road for the Shield. Now, from what I've been hearing and from what I've read the last couple of days, they want to break off uh, Roman Reigns, turn him face, which I, I think it's fine. The problem is that I feel that if you're going to turn anybody, I would have rathered you turn Rollins... And you keep Reigns as the muscle for Ambrose. Now, here's why. When you look at at, at Seth Rollins, you see um, CM Punk. You see Jeff Hardy. You see, you know, the high-risk guy. The You see that. 
in Seth Rollins. His mic work isn't there yet, but you know what? Neither was Jeff Hardy's. Let's not kid ourselves. And I would keep Roman Reigns with Dean Ambrose for the time being, much like they kept Batista with Triple H. Because I think that it worked better. Think about when they broke up, when they broke up Evolution and they kept Batista with Triple H and then Batista started getting that shine and then all of a sudden Batista started getting all the credit and he turned on Triple H. Or, yeah, when Triple H was the muscle for Shawn Michaels. That's that's another way to look at it. I would have rather you keep Roman Reigns with Dean Ambrose and then you break off Seth Rollins. I think Seth Rollins has more to offer as a face and he's kind of that guy that, not to say that he's CM Punk 2.0, but he can kind of fill in that gap and really get the crowd behind him because he's he, it's the same thing. It's, you know, Jay says that Dean will be the new Stone Cold Steve Austin if done right. Ah, Mortis. Mortis goes, when China was the muscle for Triple H. You mean when China gave Triple H the muscle? Is that what you really meant? <laughs> no, but but seriously. I, I, I think that the Roman Reigns face turn is destined for failure. Seriously, I think everybody's like, oh, Roman Reigns is going to be an incredible superstar. Yeah, but you know what his promos consist of? Believe in the shield. Believe in the shield. Like, that's all it is. When the fuck does Roman Reigns say more than five words? He's like fucking Corbin Dallas in the fifth element. When, when, you know, when Ruby Rod was talking to him, and he's like, nah, 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 what do you think? Call me, baby. And he's just like, cool. Like, that's Roman Reigns. That is Roman Reigns to a T. It's like, how are you going to turn this guy face when he can't even say five words? I don't think that he's shitty on the mic, but it's, yeah, there you go. Justice. You know, or believe. And occasionally he'll just, you know, and do the fucking Samoan scream and shit. You know, but come on, man. Like, if you're going to turn anybody, turn Rollins. Turn Rollins. Reigns stays the muscle with Ambrose. Ambrose becomes the fucking heel of all heels. Then Reigns gets fucking disrespected by Ambrose. He kills Ambrose dead. You get a feud. Reigns gets elevated. Everybody's happy. No, we're going to turn Reigns, who can say only five words, and then what? What are you going to do? Say, make him the third Uso? I mean, don't get me wrong, Rikishi actually put out a picture of them three in football uniforms together, but fuck it. Seriously, R- Roman Reigns is going to join the Usos. Fuck it. They, if you're going to do it, at least do that. But if you're going to do that, then Rikishi needs to be their manager. They need to be like Samoan SWAT team, like three-minute warning. Like, that's the kind of shit. If you're going to put Roman Reigns with the Usos, you got to do that. Just have Roman Reigns with the Usos, and it's like on some three-minute warning shit where they just come out and kill people dead. Because I think the Usos got the tools. You have Roman Reigns do the powerbomb, and Jimmy or Jay come off the top rope with the splash. Oh, it would be bananas. That That's a finisher right there. The Roman Reigns powerbomb into the splash? Oh, it'd be sick. But this is what we're going to get. Believe. Or, you know, justice. Or Ambrose, Rollins, Reigns. Like that's that's really what it that's really what it is. Whenever he's out there, it's like 
Reigns. Just just boring as fuck. And it's funny because they did a, the Shield did an autograph signing by my office at Roosevelt Field, and everybody said that Roman Reigns was the nicest and most personable guy there, which is great. You know, it, he's a modern-day Rocky Maivia, if that's the case. But still, on television, he's fucking... He's, 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 he's paper. He's this. He's fucking uh, Spanish fortune teller. You know, he's fucking dead. He's bullshit. Like, the, yeah, exactly. The women love Roman Reigns. Don't get me wrong, but seriously, Roman Reigns as a face by himself is going to suck. Mortis says the Usos, Reigns, Rikishi, and The Rock would make a fun Survivor Series team. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Rikishi managing the Usos with Roman Reigns and their fourth team member would be The Rock taking on, like, you know, the Wyatt family and, like, Dean Ambrose. Ah, it'd be bananas. That would be an amazing Survivor Series match. Rikishi comes out with the Usos, Roman Reigns, and The Rock is their partner taking on the Wyatt family and, like, Dean Ambrose. It would be insanity. It would be insanity. See, uh, Mortis says the Wyatts, Ambrose, and Rollins. You you really want to keep Rollins heel? I just I just don't feel that Rollins would work as a face. But we we could argue fucking storylines for for the next fucking twenty minutes. Anyway, so Dean Ambrose had his match with Biggie Langston. The Shield got involved. The Usos came out. All of a sudden, six man tag match. Roman Reigns with the double spear fucking kills the Usos dead. Kills him super dead, which was an awesome spot. That double spear was was sick. It looked really cool. The Usos sold it well. And like I said, the seeds of dissension, even in the celebration, you can see when, when Ambrose is holding up his belt and Rollins and Reigns are just looking at him like, you cocksucker, we're going to fucking kill you. So I don't see the Shield making it past fucking February. If they make it past February, it'll be a shocker, to say the least. So... Shawn Michaels comes out, he cuts his promo, he demands that Daniel Bryan shake his hand because, you know, we're in elementary school, and um, Daniel Bryan puts HBK in the yes lock. Couple of things, first of all, Shawn Michaels, that lazy eye that you got, you can't hide that shit, bro. Everybody sees it, they see that lazy fucking eye of yours, lazy as shit, and he's like, he's like this, he's like, he's like, you know what, Daniel Bryan, and his eye is like, fuck, like, it's funny because the camera tries so hard Try so hard to not get that fucking droopy eye of Shawn Michaels. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's, you know, one super kick too many or maybe maybe it's just that his eye was always fucked up and nobody noticed. But seriously, like when you look at Shawn Michaels' eye, it's like fucking wandering and shit. Yep, that's right. Blame Jericho for that eye. Thank you. But it's true. You, His eye is like, you know, he's looking at it. Oh my god, yes, Strider, the sticky fingers stare. Yes, Strider with the gold star. Absolutely. And you know what's funny? The camera doesn't really zoom in, and he wears the hat like super low, so you don't see it. So when he's cutting a promo, it's like this and shit, like a shade. And he's like, you know what, Daniel Bryan? And the camera only gets like this side of his face and shit. And it's just like, dude, what the fuck is up with your eyeball? I mean, the exchange itself was really good. And everybody's like, oh, Shawn Michaels is going to have another fucking match. No, he's not. And if he is, it will be for an immense payday, and it will not be with Daniel Bryan. It's not. 
It is not. The only way that that match will be with Daniel Bryan is if it's a, uh, um, you know, a um, a passing of the torch match. Jay, Jay says that he has the Shawn Michaels stare. Shawn Michaels has the stare where he drops a dime and picks up two nickels. It's like, yo, when the fuck did you become cross-eyed? When did you become ogre from Revenge of the Nerds? Like, what the fuck, dude? It's like he's like this and shit. Like, I can't even make myself cross-eyed. It's like, yo, you, what happened? What happened to you, heartbreak kid? What happened? You come out, you look like a fucking mountain man. Like, you should be killing fucking moose and shit. And you're just there with your camo. You're you're not fucking, you can't even be a boy toy anymore. You're a fucking geriatric toy. You're a toy with fucking depends. Like, come on. Stop it. Anyway. We had a handicap match with Los Matadores taking on 3MB, which was, you know, fucking. Then AJ and Tamina took on the Bellas, which was. Pretty much. But Kane and the Miz was very interesting for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Kane came out and killed the Miz dead. Killed him dead and then proceeded to have. A, a fucking promo of his life, and then he takes off his wig. Kane's like, yo, here, Steph, hold my weave. Thanks. And, of course, we know Kane is doing See No Evil, uh, See No Evil 2, and he did a lot of press at Comic-Con, and he was fucking bald to play Jacob Goodnight. So I have no problem with this. I mean, Kane coming out and being bald with the fucking the crazy eye and shit. But you know what he needs to come out with? He needs to come out with the chain and the hook. From See No Evil. Like, he should come out with that shit. It would be ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. It's, you know, I would have I would have loved to have seen that. Just Kane coming out like Jacob Goodnight. He did that once when they did the first See No Evil. He came out, he had the chain and the hook for, for one of the, the, the segments. And it looked really, really awesome. Really did. It was ridiculous. But... I, where they go with Kane, he's, you know, he, he gives Stephanie McMahon his wig and he says that the monster is at your service. I mean, are, are, is creative going to go and put Kane with the Wyatts? I sincerely doubt that. But you know what? Stranger things have fucking happened. Now, I want to talk about the primetime players. I want to talk about them and R-Truth shilling WWE merchandise. I want to talk about that for a couple of reasons. So, we all know that racial stereotypes run rampant. Everybody loves them. Racial stereotypes are the the end-all, be-all, the beginning and the end. But here's the thing that kills me. Last week, R-Truth was shucking and jiving, you know, just to, to shill merchandise. And I said, okay, it's kind of cool. It works, whatever. Then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to have the primetime players shill merchandise the same way. It almost felt like a crime time segment. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Like on some real, yo, 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 yo. Like I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? The primetime players are solid tag team wrestlers. And you have them shucking and jiving, shucking and jiving. Really? Shilling merchandise. That's what you do. 
Why don't you just fucking use zombie Lord Alfred Hayes? Dig him up. Put him and zombie Gorilla Monsoon to sell fucking merchandise. Seriously, you're going to take... For, for the last two weeks, you're going to take your, your black wrestlers and have them shill fucking merchandise? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, how like how obvious is that shit? Like, I saw it and I'm like, eh, you know, the R-Truth shit this week, not so... Alright. But, but then the week after with the fucking primetime players, I'm like, yo, what the hell is that? Like, it was some legit, you know shucking and jiving Uncle Tom selling shit. I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, yo, you really got these guys shucking and jiving selling merchandise. I I couldn't understand it. I could not understand why why they did that. I'm like, really? That's what we're doing? That is what we're fucking doing. We're doing that. We're gonna shill merchandise. I was, I couldn't believe it. I really, really could not believe that that's where they were going to go with it. I was I was I was horrified not because of the of the obvious racist racial undertones, but just because the way that they shilled it was you know, it was a little shitty. Not only that, but I didn't like when um Darren Young was holding the Divas title and they kind of made a little insinuation about about his sexual preference cuz he was holding the pink belt. I know some of you probably caught that. Some of you may not, but if you didn't, please watch that again and you'll see it was it was real subtle and you can see that that um you know that this guy, what's his face? Uh Titus O'Neil was uncomfortable. He you could see that when the when he delivered that line, he had an air of, of uncomfortableness about him. What are you gonna do? Have JTG next week? Maybe David Otunga. David Otunga, who we haven't even seen wrestling in fucking months, he comes out to talk about the Big Show's lawsuit. Really? That that's what you're doing? Like, you know what I should do? I would put David Otunga with fucking Damian Sandow, and have him be like Damian Sandow's lawyer or some shit. Have him be like Carlton Banks to Will Smith. It's you know, it, it's ridiculous. Like let like why not just do that? Why not just make David Otunga Damian Sandow's fucking Virgil? Because if you already have R-Truth shucking and jiving, shucking and jiving, fucking selling merchandise on TV, and the primetime players just looking like complete assholes, why, why not? Why not? Why don't you just fucking come out in blackface next week? Because that's where we're going. I'm sorry, but every fucking week is just... And, and with the primetime players, it bothered me because these are guys that are beyond that shit. And then, like I said, I didn't like the, the like you know the whole Darren Young Divas title thing. It was, it, was, it was lowbrow. It really was lowbrow. I found it to be, you know, just uncomfortable to watch. It was fucking uncomfortable. And I'm trying to find the promo on, on YouTube, and I can't find it. I can't. Jay says that Kofi will sell merchandise during Kwanzaa. Exactly, Val. Exactly. Val says, wait, Diva's title for the gay guy? He was holding the belt in the fucking video. And 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 Titus said something, and you can see that it was kind of like a wink and a nod, like, hey, you know, because you're gay and all. Like, like, you could see that it was just uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And I'm like, really? You guys did that? 
it, it, I'm telling you, if I wish I could find the promo. I wish I could find it. And it's funny because they don't have it. I'm on WWE's YouTube channel, and they do not have it. They don't. It's it's weird. You know, it was like the, exactly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it, it was... It just... I felt it was really... I don't want to say it was classless, but it definitely was not something that that really enforces the be a star value you know it was it was really low brow i didn't like it i was like holy shit they're really doing that are you serious but that's that's wwe for you you know tongue-in-cheek low brow wink and a nod you know and it's okay because the wrestlers are in on it no it's not you're taking a guy who you know admitted that that he's a you know he's a homosexual Everybody's embraced it. They talked about it being strong and courageous. And then you have them do a fucking skit with a diva's belt. When the fuck have you seen any other wrestler, you know, do some shit like that? Jay says, you don't think he was okay with it? You know what the problem is? He probably was okay with it because you're making a fuckload of money. What are you going to say? No, I don't want to do the skit. And maybe not be on TV, maybe not get the push, because you know that's how WWE is. The minute you say no, say goodbye to your push, say goodbye to TV time, etc. It's it, you know, it, it, I just I just found it very weird, very weird that exchange. Val says, "What if he wasn't gay and this is a million dollar gimmick?" I don't know, man. It, 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 that that would be you never know because you know we get worked all the time. You know the crowd definitely gets worked, but I just I, like I said, I just felt it felt uncomfortable. That entire segment felt uncomfortable. Anyway, CM Punk and Ryback was a complete burial. The entire match was five minutes long, and it set up the Wyatts coming out and beating up CM Punk after beating up Daniel Bryan. Now here's here's the question with this. You take Ryback, Goldberg 2.0, you build this guy up as a monster, he wrestles one guy, two guys, three guys at a time, he's, he, he, he's, a, he's super strong, he's ginormous, he's a beast, then all of a sudden he comes out and he gets not only defeated by CM Punk in five minutes, but he submits to the Anaconda Vice, no Paul Heyman because he was selling the beating, no Curtis Axel, who's a Heyman guy and should have came out to help Ryback, but just a legit burial. Like, I understand that you wanted to close the chapter on this feud, but the fact is that it was a beating and a half, and it was in five minutes. Five minutes. You take this guy that you've built up to be this huge monster, this incredible monster, and then he just gets decimated in five minutes. It's 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 crazy. It's crazy. And like I said, it adds to the to the validity of Ryback possibly being in the doghouse, because when you get destroyed on national television like that, after being booked as this unstoppable monster, it definitely raises some red flags. It jumped out. I'm like, yo, are you serious? Like he really just got got tapped out by punk. Holy shit. In a street fight, no less. Like, it wasn't even like he hit him with a kendo stick and used that to do, like, the anaconda vice. It was a legit clean pin. Clean pin and submission. It was a clean elbow into the anaconda vice, and that was it. 
crazy. It was crazy shit. Cody Rhodes and Goldust took on the Real Americans in a surprisingly good match. I think that they're probably going to start pushing the Real Americans who got a victory over our tag team champions. Summer Rae and Natalia had a passable match. There were definitely a, a decent amount of botches, but um, Natalia looked good in the match. And Summer Rae, from what I've heard, Summer Rae is a pretty solid wrestler, but you can tell that maybe she wasn't ready for this match, she she kind of wrestles like Stacy Keebler. She had a lot of Stacy Keebler spots, you know, the long leg um, to the throat and the camera zooming in on her box because you know that's what we do. That's what we do when we're the cameraman. Hey, look, Summer Rae's using her leg to choke out Natalia. Let's wow, look at that. That's the ovary cam. Holy shit! I see like seven kids in those fallopian tubes. You know, it's it's fucking crazy. And they always do that. They always do the box shot. We've seen this. I think it was, um, I think it was Jay. Remember the picture of AJ? I think you used it as a cover, Jay, where her legs were spread because the camera was, was super focused on her box. I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Like, I understand, you know, it's for guys and we, come on, let's not kid ourselves. But it was like legit, like, yo, let's get a really close look. This is the gyno cam. Wow! Like, I'm like, what the fuck? Because, like, when she was using her leg to choke Natalia, you could have done the camera angle from, like, this side and focused on the leg in the throat like this. No, you're going into the, wow, look at... Summer Rae has long legs. Yeah, she does! Fucking Jerry Lawler. You know Jerry Lawler's looking at the fucking camera, stroking his fucking head, stroking his helmet, looking at the camera like... You know, like, (laughs) I'm serious. Like, yo, like, they always do that shit. It's, (laughs) Mortis says, I've seen the camera focused on Biggie's crotch when he was spread before, and they quickly changed cameras after that. But it's true. It's, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy the way they did that. Because it's like, again, The cameraman, it may not be intentional, but seriously, whenever there's a leg spot or a spot where a chick's leg is fucking like out here and shit, the camera's like all up in it in the fucking the gyno cam. It's like, let's get a closer look, shall we? I'm like, what the fuck? What the hell is going on? It's insanity. It is insanity at its finest. But like I said, it's... It, Jay, it, it, it is intentional. It, it is. Fuck it. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. It is. But the thing that gets me, Summer Rae, I think, definitely had some jitters in this match. But she, she hung in there pretty well. Natalia looked good in the match. Uh, Summer Rae, everybody says she can work. She can work very well. Jay says it also in the chat that she can work. But um, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't a match that I wanted to go to the fucking bathroom and take a fucking shit. It was, it was good. Randy Orton comes out, does his little celebration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire roster standing on the top of the stage. I'm Randy Orton. Big Show comes out. Fucking proceeds to KO Randy Orton and kill him dead. End scene. So, overall, Raw this week was was pretty good. Wasn't shit. It was all right. It was, uh, you know, out of a possible 10, maybe as an 8. I'd give it an 8. There were a couple of low points. That, that first Divas match... Um, with Brie and fucking Tamina against AJ was shit, but uh, the rest of it was was really really good. And it, yes, it was. Mortis says anybody else think it's weird seeing the Wyatt on stage during Orton's celebration? I do. I found that very strange. I'm like, wow, that's a little, 
it's a little out of character for them. So you never know. You never know. They might be part of the authority too. Really, Jay? You think eight and a half? You know what it was? I think that Divas match, you know, the, with Tamina definitely watered it down and the shucking and jiving just, it really kind of, I think it was partially my aggravation at the shucking and jiving and, you know, the, the, the wink and a nod from fucking Darren Young that just didn't, it, it didn't sit well with me. So it may have knocked it down a peg. Jay Fields Raw was an eight and a half show this week. I, it was an eight, you know, the half point is negligible, but like I said, it was all right. Uh, if you guys, uh, Quark, Jay, if you guys want to call in, you can. Um, the other wrestling news I wanted to talk about was TNA. I want to talk about TNA being for sale. So a lot of, a lot of wrestling websites, including WrestleZone and a couple of other sites were talking about TNA being for sale. Now, some people are saying that TNA has been for sale for some time and they have buyers already. Uh, one thing that they've said is that Eric Bischoff was sent home and that he's being paid for sitting at home, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, make you can make a case for that if you want. But the thing that gets me is that I feel, here's how I feel. TNA has put themselves into a crazy corner. And the reason I say that is because they are... You have a, a tremendous organization with a with a great roster of performers that has just been mismanaged from the get go. And when I say mismanaged, I say no, no, no. They they have AJ Styles. They do. That's part of an angle. That is part of an angle where AJ is going to defend the belt. He, I think he's defending it in Japan and in Mexico and all that. That's all angle stuff, Mortis. So AJ is still with TNA. Um, Here's here's let's let's break this down a little bit. I've been following TNA since the weekly pay-per-views. Let me let me pull this out a little bit so I can kind of get comfortable. So, I've been following TNA since the weekly pay-per-views which were $10. That was $40 a month and we would get solid solid wrestling. I was from I went through, you know, the Triple X factions, uh, America's Most Wanted, all of that stuff, you know, Sonny Siaki, uh, Monty Brown and the Pounce. Yeah, when it was in the asylum, I I, I followed TNA. Uh, Slim J taking on Amazing Red, uh, Jerry Lynn. It, it, you know, that was when TNA was on fire. You know, Jeff Jarrett when he wasn't a complete clusterfuck. And we had some great, great wrestling. Now, here's what happened. When the Carters took over... Um. Yeah, AJ and Punk have wrestled in Ring of Honor. They have. Um, when the Carters took over, TNA started getting the TV deal, and they switched over to Spike, and they showed tremendous promise, you know, the six-sided ring, all this stuff. All good. Then Hogan came into the picture. When Hogan came into the picture with Bischoff is when I felt TNA was really starting to to hit the skids. And the reason I say that is because Dixie Carter was still kind of talking with Jerry Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett with regards to how to run the company. As soon as Bischoff and Hogan came in, it just fucking went down the fucking tubes. I'm sorry, but it's true. Now, a lot of people will say to me, you know, Rich, you can't just blame those two guys. But um, you can. I'll tell you why. Because 
Eric Bischoff came in. Let's go with the four-sided ring. Let's go with this. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's bring in this other guy. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, you know what the thing is? Val mentions Vince Russo. Sure, Vince Russo was partially to blame. But you know what? Vince Russo... There were there were also high points when Vince Russo was involved. You know, Sports Entertainment Extreme, which was Sonny Siaki, um, a couple of the other guys. When he was running that faction, it was it was good. You know, like Vince. The problem is Vince Russo gets a lot of shit. Vince Russo gets a lot of shit. Yep, Mortis two thousand four to two thousand six was it was a great time. Vince Russo gets a lot of shit, but the thing is that when you look at Vince Russo. He has good points and bad points. Eric Bischoff and Hogan have a reputation for killing companies. They kill them dead. They kill them. Simple as that. There's no gray area. They fucking kill them. And that's the problem. Now, I see that Jay is on the line. I'm going to bring him in. And, um, you know, I want to I kind of bounce this off of him a little bit. Let's see if this works. Jay, are you there? Yeah, boss, I'm here. So, I wanna I wanna pick your 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 brain on this T- TNA possibly being for sale, and a lot of a lot of things can come out of this. Uh, some people are like, "Oh, WWE can buy it, and you know, take the roster, clean up, clean out the roster, and get the tape library." Uh, they can also get Sting for nothing. Uh, with with that said. What do you feel about TNA's chances? And if the company was being sold, what would you like to see? What happens now is that um, if it goes under the WWE umbrella, it's just going to be picked apart, deboned, and just be dismantled and done with, where they're not going to want the talent. And that's going to be it. Like you said, the the library is going to be what's going to be more exclusive to them, and they're just going to want to, you know, expose that and get the money and profit from it. And 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 sadly, that it, it, that that that's what it's going to look like for the long run. Because as of this point right now, TNA has put themselves in that predicament. Yep. They put themselves there. Because right now, and even tonight, I was doing commentary for the page and. You know, I started noticing little things here and there where it came over to, I started noticing even the commentary has given up on the on the company itself. For example, you have Taz, who commentary-wise on a regular basis is, you know, touch and go, fans like him, they don't like him, whatever the case may be. But for some reason tonight, he was reckless like he was just saying absurd stuff and i had to like check it like whoa where where's all this coming from so it seemed to me like it was like on a on a notion where it's like uh the rats on a sinking, sinking ship. ship right that is it. yeah so it was like uh, i you know it, it's unfortunate because tna has a product that it can be saved if there were investors that are actually look into it to do something better for it now well here's here's the funny thing allegedly bischoff was going to be quote-unquote working from home so he's sitting at home collecting a paycheck which is probably pretty high up hogan's not there 
allegedly uh, Big John, from formerly from WWE, and Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, are handling all the booking and a lot of the agent stuff. And I think Jeff Jarrett, you know, he knows the business, and he can probably do very well in kind of starting to write the ship. The problem is that nobody wants to invest money into TNA. When the Carters are trying to sell it after after giving Hogan and Bischoff all this fucking money and getting rid of all their good talent, now the company's not even attractive for anybody to buy it. That's the fucking bigger problem. The bigger problem is the fact, oh, TNA's for sale. Who wants to buy it? Like, WWE will buy it for, for nothing, clear out the tape library, maybe take Sting, Samoa Joe, possibly Rude, maybe Aries, because they're cheap, maybe they're knockouts, and everybody else, gone. Which is a shame. Well, the, funny thing also, the funny thing about it, too, is like tonight's episode of Impact was like a staple of where they're actually sitting there and throwing their hands up in the air and saying, you know what, fuck it. I, it, it we're just going to just do what we got to do because... If if anybody didn't, you know, if anybody missed tonight's episode, you know, it, it, the it, basically the angles are basically ripping off of WWE. Yep. With AJ leaving, leaving with the belt. Yep. CC and Punk. Uh, you have a vacant title now. They have to fight for, and now they're doing a tournament. Right. AKA once again, CM Punk, Cena, and. Blatantly, they gave TNA viewers a Royal Rumble with fewer participants, but it's still a Royal Rumble. Right. So this is this is me just looking at it. If I was, you know, if I was someone that was ready to invest into a product, I would go. You're you're throwing your hands in the air and just saying, you know what, F it. I'm just trying to sell this product to you right now as in if I just sold you a a new stake of gold. Right. It was already staked in early on. It's it's sad, but I know that TNA has something that they could push out later on. I think that the thing is that TNA is trying to make a chicken salad out of chicken shit. That's that's really it. Like they've like they've dropped the ball so fucking bad with some of the shit they do, and now they're trying to right the ship. Like Mortis said, TNA started going downhill with Jeff Jarrett slept with Angle's wife. Okay, but that wasn't even part. Nah, you, know, you know that it's nah, funny that it's not even yet. Yeah, it's not even look, look. My thing with that where they went down was like he made a point of it where it was it was the whole Hogan and Bishop acquisition, in right. which it was more frustrating because. In reality, it's like, look, you guys knew that they liked to recycle. And it wasn't recycle where we said, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm just going to use it to a point where I'm just going to put a twist here and a twist there and nobody's really going to recognize the storyline. No, they did legitimately exactly what they did in WCW yep. and did it with TNA and told people, okay, I just gave you steak and eggs, but I just added a little bit more sauce. That was it. Well, you know what's funny? Even look at look at the way that the entrances were set up. It looked like Thursday Night Thunder. You know, with the ramp, with the high ramp going to the ring and all that shit. Dude, straight Thursday Night Thunder. 
Like well, if you notice today, if you notice today, if anybody's watching, uh, but I'm not sure if I remember if they did. I know, as a matter of fact, I think they did it last week also. They stopped that whole stage straight into the ring also. It's, they're not doing that anymore. Yep. So that was their whole addition with it also. And and let me go back to another thing where you added where um, I can understand changing back to the four-sided ring. I get that, you know, because it, it works in, you know, in the Latin American world, you know, because of the way they're their whole style is right, but it doesn't work with America, which is fine. You know, I, we go back to the four sided. You know, everybody sits there and they want to fight about oh, TNA lost their originality or they lost their lesson, which is fine. That's not the big issue. The big issue is you lost by pulling away from your superstars because you didn't have faith in them anymore. Yep, the AJ Styles, the Samoa Joes. The Robert Roots, you didn't have faith in them anymore. That's where you lost your fan base. Well, re- remember remember when Christian left WWE, he came in and he had the belt like six months later? Right. Remember that? Christian came into TNA as Christian Cage, and that was his gimmick, and he got the belt. Like, like instantly. I'm like, really? It's fucking Christian. No disrespect to Christian, he's he's a he. You know now he's a main event player now. But you know why he became a main event player in WWE because he got the fucking big belt in TNA. Well, the, the, well, with that, I can understand it because in anywhere else that TNA was getting, I mean, who else did they get behind that that was actually going to be a big name player? The only reason right now that I say that you know one of the top picks that WWE might want, which will be Bully Ray, is because they made Bully Ray a singles competitor rather than the tag team competitor. Right. So they had the opportunity to take Christian Cage and make him look like a superstar. What's just granted? Can they do that with anybody else on the WWE roster right now? I don't think so. I like what they're doing right now with um, Derek Bateman, who is now this new gimmick that they have there, and I hope that before the you know either the company either gets sold out or they bought, but they can actually make him look good because I actually did pretty like him when he was in NXT and all that. Yep. But with that, TNA has like glimpse of greatness, but it's not that big. It's like it, it's. it's I could I could promise you Christmas, but it's going to be in July, and that's what and it sucks. No, I, I, you know what what kills me with that also is the fact that Hogan Hogan's pretty much teasing that he'll go back to WWE. He's putting out feelers because allegedly what happened was he wanted TNA to give him a fuckload of money. And WWE said, yeah, well, guess what? We're going to give you less. And Hogan's like, oh, well, fuck that. I'm not taking less. I'll go back to TNA. And TNA is like, yeah, well, we're for sale. We can't give you that. And Hogan is, you know... Hogan allegedly, for a personal appearance, charges fifty thousand dollars for a personal appearance. And you know what? Not for nothing, but hey, people might argue that. But he's worth it. He's the freaking—he's the face of wrestling. The guy is the Michael Jordan of wrestling. He can go to the the poorest country in Indonesia and India, and people will recognize him. Yep. And I get it. But the point with this afterwards is like, listen, Hogan, 
Don't book anymore. Nope. Don't stick your hand in anything that you should be doing. Just ride the boat, get the check, and go off and and and, and enjoy the rest of your Social Security or whatever you get after. Well, you know what and it is? he can't do it. His ego is too big. Yep, his ego is huge, dude. He he refuses to 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 not be in a in a position where he's riding the the main event train. Now, if I were if I were in Vince's shoes and Hogan said, "Listen, I want to come back." Here's what you do: you take Hogan, you take his daughter, you go to his daughter, you go, "Listen, bitch, you can't fucking wrestle, you can't fucking sing, you look good. Go to NXT and we'll teach you." And will make you a star. That's the first thing. And then you make Hogan her manager, much like they did with Charlotte in NXT, who is managed by her dad, Ric Flair. From there, you bring Hogan up. He's with his daughter. His daughter starts learning. She starts getting better. You start pushing her as, you know, somebody that you can get behind as a as the face of your company. And then you take Hogan, you give him a Legends deal. Maybe you put him in there for Undertaker to fucking kill the streak. Because not for nothing, let's not kid ourselves, even though people say, oh my god, Battle of the Olds, Hogan and Taker with the fucking streak, just because Hogan's ego is so big, you'd think, oh my god, is Hogan going to put him over? And close that shit out. And and you led up to what I was about to ask you anyway, which was like, if Hogan comes back to WWE, it was going to be automatically the lead up to, not the main event, but one of the main events of WrestleMania, which is who would he face? And exactly, it would be the Undertaker type match. Yep. You know, because we think about it, that Hogan versus Rock match was tremendous. Yep. Not match wise. Match wise, that match was an abomination. I thought it was yep. horrible. But storytelling but was amazing. Storytelling and was something epic. That's why a lot of times you look at the DVDs about the whole thing. You don't see the full match. You just see peak, 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 yep. peak, and that's it. But and you always hear the ten minute pop from it. And I swear that it would be even more epic if it was Hogan versus Undertaker that's at right. WrestleMania because that would be his last moment of greatness. Yep. And even and even afterwards, let's think about it like this: It's the question that you posed earlier. TNA goes under. Do we really look that WWE is the one that's going to be the big one that takes them? Uh, unless Ring of Honor comes out of nowhere and fucking uh, fucking merges TNA with Ring of Honor, which would be amazing, and Ring of Honor would get a TV a TV deal out of it, but that's that's wishful thinking. But uh, which is which is probably in my look, what what I'm looking at it now is probably going to be the best. Uh, the best way to save TNA because it, it becomes two things. It becomes the development of the wrestlers that we have, it becomes the development of what Ring of Honor has because Ring of Honor has immaculate stories and immaculate yep. wrestlers that nobody really knows about. Right. And it's also a touch and go thing where we have these guys who are able to go into the indie circuit, which WWE does not allow, and bring a broader fan base into these shows. I agree. And then, and then lastly, the hope would be, like you said, is to get that mainstream network audience. Yep. And I, to be honest, I think like Spike TV, that whole, whole conglomerate would actually support it. I think so. I think Spike TV would get behind it. I mean, honestly, 
Hogan, Sting, even Angle to a degree, all those guys still have something to give WWE. Like with The Undertaker, think about it. Undertaker, this may be his last match. Sure, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar would be awesome. But Undertaker and Hogan with the streak would be fucking amazing. It would be amazing. I think that, yeah, especially right now, you know, 30, you get the man who started WrestleMania. Yep. With Hogan, with the man who has the biggest thing on the line going across the table with WrestleMania, which is Undertaker. Right. It'll be, it'll be fucking, it'll be earth shattering. It would be. I mean, yeah, you could give us Brock Lesnar, and that's all well and good. But you know, doing doing it like that because Hogan's he's kind of been using Twitter and putting pictures out there and holding the WWE belt and all this shit. It it, it would work, man. I mean, listen. But Hogan needs to come in, do the job. Undertaker can use that as the match of all matches to retire, and that's it. And then, like I said, take Brooke Hogan, be like, listen, Hulk, we're going to help you out. We're going to bring in your no-talent, stupid daughter, and we're going to create a superstar out of her. The same way we created a superstar out of Kelly Kelly, we're going to make a superstar out of your fucking daughter because at least people know her name. But here's the question. Is TNA salvageable? Do, do you think that they would actually have the fan base that they want them to stay, stick around? I think they do. And that's what a lot of investors want no, no, no. Uh, to, to answer that, um, I think I think they do because what you do in that situation is you take a company like Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is private investors. You have them. They buy TNA. They start merging the talent. You set up a talent exchange with Japan, which they already got. And you start getting some of these new people out there. You start seeing, you know, Bestia 666 from Mexico or, you know, um, right. guys like La Parca or guys from Japan, from like Takamichinoku school, you start seeing some yeah. of those matches, and people are going to be like, wow, that's a pretty cool product. You know, you have like uh, Takeshi Morishima come in, do a match with Samoa Joe again, do that on TNA, do it for national television. Dude, it would be fucking amazing. Right. Well, the only thing that I would say that a WWE actually would invest and actually buy it out and have some form of faith that this company could actually work would be if WWE Network is able to launch. Well, because uh, that becomes a sub-show with NXT, and yep. it becomes content for them. Yep, well, allegedly, they're either, they're supposedly launching, and I want to get into that as well, and, I, and you know, I'll keep you on for that. They did a conference call this week, and they were talking God, about... you're making me work today. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're doing a... It, it, it's not too bad, though. They did a conference call, and they said that we may be seeing the WWE Network second quarter of next year with either you know a traditional or a non-traditional distribution. And it's true. You buy TNA, you create NXT programming, you throw some of those guys on NXT, and then you start bumping those guys up. And like you said, it's guaranteed content. Well, we think about it, because if you get WWE Network, right, it's nothing different than... I'm going to sit there and get WWE Demand, which I already have, which is old uh, footage from years past of, you know, the, the you know WWE Wrestling Challenge, old pay-per-views and all that. Right. You know, the fan gets tired. They don't want to see that. They want to see something that's going to be progressive. And to be honest, you know, I understand that you could get this content in, in, on YouTube or on the Internet, but it would be great to get it on your TV. So this is this is something that they could if they actually bank on it, 
it'd be an investment for them. Well, to switch gears with, with regards to the network, and we're going to get into that. Um, Curtis Axel, we all know he got injured. He injured his hip. Uh, going into Hell in the Cell, which put the match in jeopardy. So, very interesting turn of events that happened. Uh, Curtis Axel actually got into some beef with Conan. Conan said that um, Curtis Axel was boring and he called him Wonder Bread. So, Curtis Axel went on Twitter and he said, Well, what do you know? Looks like Conan is trying to gain social media popularity by talking about a real superstar. So, Conan... Okay. Here's what Conan says. He goes... Curtis Axel, don't give a fuck about social media popularity. I don't know you and have nothing against you. Dude, you just have zero charisma. This is from Conan. (laughs) First of all, what Conan said, especially that last part, is a lie. Because he has been known to stir up the coffee ever since social media has been, like, the boom. Right. Everybody knows that he has issues with anything that's, you know, not... Uh, wrestling related. And by the way, besides that gimmick, has anybody ever known Conan to be charismatic or anything? Nope. And not even that Conan. Nope. Not even that Conan gimmick has been charismatic. Nope. The only, the only reason why they really went over it was because they added him to NWO and they thought it would bring the demographic of the Latinos to that to that to that demo, you know, to that to that world, and he didn't get over there either. Nope, Conan didn't get over with that shit. And when they put him with, yeah. um, when they put him with the filthy animals, with Ray and with Kidman, nobody gave a fuck about Conan. So it was like, don't don't try to sell it short that you didn't make a mention of something on Twitter and now you got responded to because he didn't think that somebody like Curtis Axel would respond to it and. Granted, he does have a point. You know, Axel is not charismatic. And nope. it is, it, it's, it's sad, but, you know, he's going to chase the, 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 the legend, which is his father. But even so, why are you going to attack him in this magazine? The guy is, is trying to make the best of it. That's it. It, 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 it's just, it's just sour grapes to me. Yep, it's true. So, as we were talking about before, the... Um, the conference call was this week, and this will actually help us close out the segment. So a couple of things out of there. Uh, Vince said that they um, they made a lot of good money off of television this last quarter, but that they had disappointing SummerSlam numbers. Are you shocked that they, that, that SummerSlam didn't do that well? Um, it's hit and miss because, you know... With them, it's it's all about like I said, it's all about the A storyline, right? You know, and with that A storyline, to me as a wrestling fan, I'm that guy that I love the big payoff, not the small one. I want the big payoff, right? And with you know, with the wrestling fans who are you know, these day and age and their demographic, they're not used to that. This is They're true. They're not used to having to have the big weight and all this stuff and all, the, and all that case may be. Because you know what? Like, you know, you like me, we're, the, we're, we're old school type wrestling fans. So right. We know that. The newer demographic is the ADHD type. We, oh, we want this win. We want them now. We, right. we got to get the winner now. We got to get this done. So I can get it. They're not getting that. And you know what? I always take it as you got to take a loss to get the game. I'm right. going to take a loss right now 
because the payoff is going to come off at the end. Right. And that's what I think, like you had mentioned earlier, WWE can be very high school and very, you know, you know, childish when it comes to their stories and when it comes to even money because they want it all the time. They got to get that money. Got to get that money. And I, I can see that some SummerSlam didn't get it for them because, you know, the fans weren't already, they weren't really attached to that storyline. Nope. Well, you know, it was funny because the pay-per-view revenue was down 10% and they legitimately, they legitimately said, yo, it's because of SummerSlam. <laughs> they were just like, yep, imagine, SummerSlam. But can you imagine WWE is sitting here, you know, reaching for these revenues when baseball is fighting to stay alive? Right. You know, you know, and, you're, you're, and WWE actually has the goal to go against football on Monday night and complain. Right. They have the goal to go against, you know, Big time events. Yep, World Series. They're gonna win. Yep. Yeah, World Series, and think that it's gonna be something that they, they're gonna win. Yep. And even so, if you get a two share on a cable network, you won. You it's won. true. Well, you know, it's interesting too because their their deals with um, their networks are actually up for renewal next year so it's going to be very interesting they were saying that um you know their domestic television deals are up for renewal and that they hope to have whatever deals they are finalized by next april so hopefully we don't end up with some shit where they end up leaving usa again and fucking themselves well let's think about it like this everybody's bitching a moment about they're going oh well you know we want it to three hours and let's get it going oh now we got three hours and it's not what we want but let's Let's think about it like this. You got the three hours. It's still destroying anybody else that's on that playing field. That's right. Besides football. True. Or besides any major players, right? Right. Then you also look at it like this. No one is going to sit there in that company, from which is NBC, which is the, the whole conglomerate. Nobody's going to ever sit there and say, oh, WWE doesn't push is not is not bringing in the revenue. That's right. Because you had them there for over twenty years. So what makes you think that it's it's gonna stop? I agree. I think if anything, it's just a, it's a tug of pull. That's all it is. It's a tug of war for for money wise. But in any case, wrestling fans don't have to worry about the fact that it's not gonna be there. It'll it will be there. Well, the only thing that I can see is that if they don't renew it, it's because they're going to put it on the network and they're going to launch the network as a channel exclusively. And even so, and even so, even so, if they do that exclusively, um, you're still going to get the weights and balance where if they do it that way, not a lot of provide, not a lot of these providers are going to are going to take it. They're not yep. going to carry it. So, you know. It's not anything that they, they're actually going to look at losing money rather than anything else. But in, any, in either case, WWE will be fine. Just pray for TNA. There you go. All right. So <laughs> just to um, wrap things up, of course, you can find Jay at PSW on Twitter. Um, anything else you want to promote? Any events you're going to be covering soon? I'm going to promote... Um, the fact that uh, the boss is getting married soon. <laughs> I want everybody to congratulate him. Thank you, sir. 
you know. And I want to thank him for having me on this team and having me with the family. And, Appreciate it. And I hope your whole outlook on life will change when you have your own family and your own children. There you go. And love wrestling. And Thank. I love this place. Thank you. All right, bro. And I'm going to keep drinking. Good night, everybody. Peace. <laughs> Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, our very own Jay Santi. You can follow him on Twitter at JSantiPSW. Uh, last thing to wrap things up, I posed a question on our Facebook fan page. I am a man of my word. And, um, you know, I posed a question on the fan page that said, if WWE bought TNA, which talent would you keep? Now, obviously, we got a lot of different responses, and I want to take the chance to read them on air because a lot of people feel very differently about it. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Josh Dorman, he said, seriously, nobody. Just release a few TNA DVDs, maybe one about how they never got off the ground. I said, um, you know, damn, Josh, that's harsh. No love for the product. And he said, I used to like TNA, then Hogan came and killed it. I don't want to see someone like Ziggler get pushed down the card for TNA guys. Maybe take Joe or Robert Roode, but that's about it. They don't need AJ because they already have Punk and Brian both of whom are smaller guys and both have way more charisma. Do you really want to see Bully Ray? I don't. Kurt Druggy Angle, I'll pass. So, you know, I, I shared my thoughts on Kurt Angle, and he said, my problem with Angle is I think he needs to get out before he kills himself. He's going to either overdose on painkillers or hit a tree drunk driving. I'd rather see him retire and get cleaned up. This was from Josh Dorman. Uh, Jay Santi said that if anybody he would take would be AJ Styles, Robert Roode, Ego, Kurt Angle, Austin Aries, Bully Ray, Samoa Joe, and TJ Perkins, not Manic. Val said, make SmackDown its own brand, nix the US Championship for a TV title, and with regards to who he'd bring over from TNA, he said AJ, Roode, Magnus, Joe, Daniels, Kenny King, Rob Terry, Bully Ray, maybe James Storm, and Eric Young. With regards to any of the knockouts, he said, for the ladies, I'd keep all of them and fire half of the WWE Divas roster. So uh, thanks to everybody for submitting your answers to the question of the week. Um, I definitely am going to try to do this more often just because I like hearing all the great responses. And of course, I want to give people their shine on air so thanks to everybody that answered the question this week and uh, we'll try and come up with something next week as well all right so that is actually going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment so let's get into some video games because there is a lot to discuss and the uh, blog talk radio feed it is 1 20 in the morning eastern standard time that feed will go off air at 2 a.m., but we will continue broadcasting on Mixler and GFQ. Just wanted to give you guys the heads up with regards to that. All right, let's get into some video games, shall we? All right, so we, we have a ton of fucking gaming news this week. Um, 
first up, let me let me address WWE 2K14 in its entirety. Um, like I said, we got it from 2K. We're working on a review. I am reviewing it, and also Jay will be doing a review as well. And um, so far, it's it's pretty nice. The um, the overall complexity of the game is is pretty solid. The reversal system takes a little bit of adjusting, but overall, it's it's very enjoyable. Um, the universe mode is pretty cool. The create a wrestler uh, slash create a superstar mode is very nice. Uh, the thirty years of WrestleMania mode is very cool. The Undertaker streak mode, I'm I'm a little torn about it, just because. Uh, you can either defend the streak or try to end the streak, and the matches just they're all done in like brawls, which is, you know, it feels a little weird uh, considering who the participant is with the Undertaker. But overall, the game thus far has been pretty good. Like I said, the uh, reversal system takes a little bit of getting used to. I've been playing it on the PS3, but. With regards to the overall experience, the game is very solid. Uh, 2K, of course, taking over the license for the game after THQ went under. And THQ basically had the game, from what they've been saying, uh, mostly complete. And 2K just polished it up and worked on the graphics and stuff. So a lot of the complaints that people have about the game, I wouldn't really cite right now. Because this right now it's kind of a 50-50. Both parties had a hand in making the game. But the real one is going to be 2K15 because we're going to see a full 2K created engine from the ground up. And that's where we're going to see what 2K is going to bring to the table. Now it's still a lot of THQ's influence, a lot of THQ's development process. Um, and it's definitely apparent. Graphically, the game is beautiful. I am using a TV with 240Hz refresh, and I'm playing it in 1080p, and it looks beautiful. The character models are awesome, and hopefully I'll be able to capture a couple of different matches and share them. I actually wanted to try and stream this weekend and do a couple of different matches and some stuff, but uh, my schedule will not permit that. But there will be some video showcasing a couple of different things, and you guys can check that out. So be on the lookout for that review this weekend. Also, Slick will be reviewing Final Exam. Uh, we actually played some co-op of that yesterday, and that review should probably be up by Tuesday, November 5th, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, the Wolf Among Us I'm also working on, and Painkiller. So those, those definitely should be uh, things to look out for. Speaking of two, 2K games, there's a release date for Bioshock Infinite's new storyline DLC, The Burial at Sea, and... Um, that DLC is going to be $14.99 and will be released November 12th. So if you are a Bioshock fan and you've been awaiting Burial at Sea, that DLC will be available on November 12th for Xbox 360, PC, and PlayStation 3. Speaking of DLC, GTA will be getting its own DLC pack. The DLC pack will be known as the Beach Bum Pack. It's going to include, of course, beach-themed vehicles, new weaponry that can be used in both online and story mode, plus new customization options for GTA Online characters, including new tattoos and hairstyles. The DLC is going to be released within the next couple of weeks on both Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Of course, as we are winding down 2013, we're getting a lot of different quarterly reports from a couple of different companies. EA actually released their second quarter report for the month of uh, ending, you know, the end of September. And they actually said that they lost uh, $273 million from July to September. 
and saw a 2% decline in net revenue. In total, they made $695 million. Uh, well, no, they actually um, they were expecting a higher percentage rate, but they came in with $695 million. Um, it's slightly above the projections that they had set out, but a couple of things to consider. Uh, they're looking to make $775 million in revenue next quarter. They also made it a point to announce that Titanfall, which everybody's been talking about, will be exclusive to Xbox One, 360, and PC for the life of the title. The game is expected to hit stores March 11th. So, for those of you that are expecting Titanfall to come on the PlayStation 4, sad to report, it is not happening. It will remain an Xbox Microsoft, well, it will remain a Microsoft exclusive title for the life of of the entire series until obviously they decide to do a second installment, which of course is up for debate, but for the life of the first series, uh, part one of the game will be exclusive to Xbox one 360 and PC. So there you have it. Halo fans will be excited to know that Halo Spartan assault will be coming to Xbox 360 and Xbox one. For those of you that are not familiar with Halo Spartan Assault, it is a top-down shooter set in the Halo universe before Halo 3 and Halo 4 and will be available as a digital download in December. The console version will have over 30 missions, a new co-op mode, and the Operation Hydra expansion pack as well. So be on the lookout for that if you are a Halo fan. Nintendo is in the news this week with some interesting figures. Uh, the Wii U shipped 300,000 units worldwide during the second quarter, but it still isn't a success for Nintendo. The company noted that the Wii U hardware still has a negative impact on profits currently. Obviously, part of this has to do with the price cut the system has received in North America after lackluster first quarter sales. As of right now, the lifetime shipment of the Wii U is 3.9 million units, which is almost matched by the 3DS, which sits at 3.8 million units uh, within, which actually, check this out, 3.9 million Wii U's were sold, 3.8 3DS's were sold, and those 3.8 million units were sold during the first six months of the fiscal year, so... Think of how crazy that is. The lifetime numbers of the Wii U are are only close to the six-month numbers of the 3DS. That's ridiculous, to say the least. Overall, Nintendo's net profits uh, is $6.1 million, down from the $88 million that the company posted for the first quarter. They have an operating loss of $236 million, which was attributed to advertising used to ramp up sales and development of software for the Wii U. So let's let's take a, a moment and, and process this. 3.9 million Wii U units since inception versus 3.8 million units in six months for a handheld. This is a big fucking problem for Nintendo. And they just refuse to acknowledge the fact that the Wii U is not gaining the traction that they would have liked. Now, obviously, they got a couple of games in the pipe, which are, are going to change the tide a little bit. You know, Smash Brothers, uh, Legend of Zelda, Donkey Kong, etc. But think about it. 3.9 million units in a lifetime cycle versus a six-month cycle for the 3DS. That's, that's something worth looking at. 
And I really am worried about Nintendo with regards to their to their success rate in the home console market. On handhelds, they got it on lock for the time being. But when the PS4 and the Xbox One drop, Nintendo's numbers are going to be looked at and scrutinized even more so if they can't get out of the slump they are currently in. Speaking of Microsoft, the... Um, Vice President of Microsoft, Phil Spencer, did an interview with IGN, and they actually were talking about Gears of War, and he said that the franchise has run its course in its current incarnation and needs to be reimagined. This is what he said, I'm uh, quoting what he said in the interview, I want to find a great Gears game, and I thought we did a good job with Judgment, but I don't think it hit the level of quality that we saw in the previous games. I think review scores showed that, sales showed that, and honestly, I really think we needed to take a step back and think about it. I wouldn't call it a reboot, but I think that's an overused term, but I think that where the franchise goes and how to expand it is worth looking at differently. I'd love to have that conversation, but I think that the franchise would need to be not reworked, but just maybe expanded. Maybe make it more gritty, I don't know. You'd want have to you'd want to do something with it because I think it's kind of run its course on the 360. It was a great success on the 360 on the 360, but I don't quite have the it doesn't have the story arc of something like Halo. So definitely very very interesting uh, commentary from Microsoft. And I know a lot of you guys have played Gears, and I'm curious to see what you guys think. Do you think Gears has run its course? And if so. What would you like to see in a future Gears franchise? I mean, what do you want to see it rebooted, reimagined? What would you like to see? I think the Gears franchise had a really good story. I also felt that Judgment was incredibly weak and did not deliver the same level of quality that the other Gears games delivered. But, you know, it, it felt more so like DLC and a cash grab more than anything else. But I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Maybe I'll pose that on our Facebook fan page because I am curious about it and I'd love to hear your opinions. All right, so let's talk a little bit about next-gen PlayStation 4 news. So PlayStation 4 released their launch lineup and a lot of people feel that it's underwhelming. According to an FAQ that they put on their uh, Sony PlayStation blog, obviously the system drops November 15th. And here are the titles you can expect at launch. From Sony, you're going to get Flower, Killzone Shadows Fall, Knack, Rezogun, and Sound Shapes. From third-party companies, you're going to get Angry Birds Star Wars, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, Call of Duty Ghosts, FIFA 14, Battlefield 4, Just Dance 2014, Injustice Gods Among Us Ultimate Edition, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Madden NFL 25, and NBA 2K14. Also, DC Universe Online and Skylanders Swap Force. Now, on the independent side, they're releasing Contrast, Pinball Arcade, Super Motherload, Tiny Frames, and Warframe. Of course, also... You know, Watch Dogs, which has been delayed, and Drive Club, which is coming post-launch. So, very, very interesting launch lineup. I'll, I'll be honest, when you look at it, a lot of it are rehashes of games that are already out, but the the quality of these titles and the way that they look and the visuals 
are what are going to be the major selling points. I know a lot of guys that have bought Battlefield 4 already just because they want to play it. So, I mean, a lot of these titles, you're probably going to do the $10 upgrade charge to buy them for next gen. So I think you're going to see a lot of movement with Assassin's Creed, uh, Call of Duty Ghost, FIFA, probably Battlefield, uh, Madden, and NBA 2K14 are going to see a bit of a bump because of that whole $10 upgrade charge. But looking at the lineup in general, this is something that I want to I wanna kind of go into a little bit. Think about this. You have 22 games, roughly, announced. And everybody's like, oh, the launch lineup, it's not that great, blah, blah, blah. I have a, a very interesting question that I'm going to pose to some people, and they may they may agree with it, they may not. If you don't agree with it, fuck you. That's how I feel. If you do, then... Congratulations, we're in agreement. Here it is. 22 games are coming out with the PlayStation 4. There's a game in this lineup for everyone. Whether it's Killzone, or Call of Duty, or Battlefield, or Assassin's Creed, or Madden, or NBA 2K14. The fact of the matter is, nobody's gonna play all 22 fucking games. So before you go onto Twitter and Facebook and get on your fucking high horse, the launch lineup is bullshit. Are you fucking buying all 22 games? You're probably going to buy one or two. Let's think about it. Say you buy Call of Duty Ghosts and Assassin's Creed Black Flag. You're going to play through the single player campaign of Assassin's Creed, which is going to take a couple of days, possibly. You may play some multiplayer, possibly. Call of Duty Ghosts, all you're going to do is jump on multiplayer, most of you. And in some cases, maybe you'll do the single-player campaign just to get it out of your system. But let's be realistic. It's 22 fucking games. 22. Everybody has something to play. Strider says, give me Battlefield 4. I'll be good until the end of the year. That's what I'm saying. Like, I saw on Twitter this afternoon, yo, man, this is fucking bullshit. All the games are like rehashes and recycled games, and it's not original IPs except for, you know, Killzone and all that shit. How many fucking games are you gonna play at once, you self-entitled bitches? That's what what it is. You're a bunch of entitled fucking prissy little fucks. Seriously, there are 22 games in a lineup. 22. If I were buying a PlayStation 4, I would probably buy Assassin's Creed 4 if I didn't have it already, pay the $10 upgrade charge, pick up Killzone, probably Call of Duty, and maybe Battlefield, and I'm done. Maybe Madden or NBA or whatever. But seriously, nobody's... Exactly, Strider says, and unless everyone is Richie Rich, nobody's gonna blow $60 for every game in the launch lineup. So why are people so fucking mad? I can understand if you said, yo, they're releasing shitty games, but Knack looks surprisingly good. Killzone is always a guaranteed seller. Call of Duty Ghosts, no-brainer. Battlefield, no-brainer. FIFA 14 will always sell units. Same thing with Madden, definitely NBA 2K14, Skylanders Swap Force for the kids. Come on! Come the fuck on! Like, that's what frustrates me. These people, they get all pissy on Twitter and on social media. Oh, this launch lineup is weak. How many fucking games are you buying on day one? In the old days, you'd buy a console. It would come with a game bundled in. You'd play that game for a little bit. And maybe you'd buy one other game. 
that you can maybe play with a sibling. But that's it. That's the shit that frustrates me. Like, they, they put out this lineup. They put this FAQ out. They answered all these questions. Uh, Mortis is heading out. See you around, Mortis. Um, you know, they, they put this stuff out there. And you would think that people would say, oh, you know, it, it's it's 22 titles. Some of them are okay. But I, I have enough titles to keep me busy for a week or two. Maybe even a month or two. But seriously, you jump on social media. You jump on Twitter. You bitch, bitch, bitch. You complain. And that's the least, that's the least of your complaints. Here's one thing that, that jumped out on the FAQ that was probably going to ruffle a lot of feathers. Uh, PlayStation 4 owners are going to have limited music listening options when the console launches. In other words, you're not going to be able to play back music CDs or MP3s. Sony is suggesting that if you want to have music playing in the background, that you should get a Sony Unlimited Music subscription which is their only option for the time being. Music Unlimited subscriptions range from $4.99 to $9.99, depending on the number and type of devices subscribers own. That's something I would complain about. You're releasing a brand new console and I can't play a CD on it? Or listen to some MP3s? That's a bigger thing to complain about. Here's another one that's something worth addressing. Sony is not going to include, as of... As of the console's release, support for media servers. Now, if you're like me and you're a nerd or a techie, you probably keep most of your medium either on a computer on a separate drive or on a NAS or a network server, which is what I do. I have a home server. All my media is there, photos, videos, music, movies, everything. That server feeds my computer Feeds my Xbox 360, my PlayStation 3, my Google TV, my phone, everything. Everything is run through there. All the backups for my Take Radio are on there. I use a, a Synology server. And I usually, uh, it has DLNA. And what I do is I'll turn on my Xbox 360 or my PlayStation 3. And it'll recognize the server so I can go into folders and watch any movies that I've downloaded or any music that I have. And I can just listen to it or do whatever without having to burn DVDs or burn CDs, whatever. I can even stream my iTunes music to my consoles. Now, I'm sure this is something that will get patched and fixed up. But think about it. The PlayStation 4 won't play CDs, won't play MP3s out of the, out, out of, you know, from the gate. And above all else, doesn't have media server support. None whatsoever. Uh, the FAQ says that, you know, the console will not support DLNA devices for sharing and streaming videos and other media content from a home PC. So, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because that's a feature that's on the PS3. It's not going to be on the PS4. Now, before everybody starts panicking, I'm sure they'll release an, a, a firmware update and that'll be fixed. But it's interesting because the Xbox One will not have media center capabilities either. They haven't said anything about DLNA support, but it won't have media. It won't be a media center extender like the 360 is now. So again, these are things that are worth griping about. Also, you won't be able to share videos to YouTube or copy recorded gameplay to other devices at launch. The only thing you'll be able to do is share your videos to Facebook or your gameplay to channels like Ustream or Twitch. The other thing is that those streams will not automatically be archived. You can share them so people can check them out, 
but they will not be archived. So, you know, you're going to have to, the only way you're going to do it, users can ar- archive their live streams on Twitch by presetting via PC, but you're not going to be able to do it from the console. Again, these are things worth addressing. The PlayStation 4 is going to be able to capture 15 minutes of gameplay footage automatically. So, you know, there's going to be certain in-game areas that they won't allow you to record, which is another thing worth noting. That's that's another thing. So if you're doing a walkthrough or a FAQ or something about a certain game and the developer says, hey, I don't want you to share that part of your game on YouTube, you may not be able to do that. It's on the FAQ. Again, you guys want to get more information, check out the PlayStation blog. But they said it. Users may not be able to record in-game areas as decided by the developer. Those wishing to record or stream gameplay will not need a PlayStation Plus subscription. But again, if the developer decides that you can't record the boss battle for for the final boss of a game because they don't want you to, then you're not going to be able to. And this is what I'm saying. Everybody's like, yeah, man, you're going to be able to stream and do all this shit. Now Now that the console is closer to release, the shit is starting to reveal itself. It is starting to reveal itself. And that is a fucking problem. It's a problem. Everybody's all, yeah, Sony's going to win the console wars. Not so fucking fast. Because little things like this are rearing their ugly head and fucking shit up. They really are. People are saying to themselves, yeah, you know, it's going to be all good, but it's not. There are problems. There definitely are problems that at first glance are definitely going to ruffle some feathers. They really are. For me personally, this is what I figure. The PlayStation 4 is going to come out with a decent library of games. And they'll keep people busy for the next couple of weeks. A lot of guys that I know will also be picking up the Xbox One. Which, of course, you're going to pick up games for that as well. So you got your PlayStation 4 with one or two games. Your Xbox One with one or two games. What does it matter that it's only 20 launch titles if you're going to only be playing one or two games? Use your logic, people. If you're going to be mad about something, be mad about the fact that you can't play MP3s. You can't stream from any servers or PCs that you have. You can't share videos to YouTube. Or the fact that if a developer decides to, you may not be able to capture certain parts of the game. That's it. Those things are more irritating than the amount of titles in a launch lineup. That's all I'm saying. Seriously. Well, that's actually going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news, because there is quite a bit to discuss on the entertainment side of things as well. So last week, we were, I mentioned, brief, not last week, actually, two weeks ago, I briefly mentioned something about a Hellraiser remake and the fact that, you know, it was, it was being considered, it was being contemplated. Well, Clive Barker actually wrote 
on his Facebook page that he's met with Bob Weinstein and pitched a new take on Hellraiser, and he is looking to do it not with a lot of CGI, but something more traditional, and he wants to have Doug Bradley come back and play Pinhead, which is pretty fucking cool. If you guys haven't seen Hellraiser, Hellraiser 1 and 2 are horror classics. The first Hellraiser came out in 1987. Um, I was seven years old when it dropped. I remember watching it, I believe, in 1989 or 1990 at around nine or ten years old. Hellraiser is a fantastic movie, and Clive Barker is tremendous. I actually own the book that it's based on, which is The Hellbound Heart. Uh, Clive Barker being involved in a in a newer, darker take on Hellraiser is something that I definitely am interested in seeing, uh, just because, like I said, he wants to be involved uh, creatively and also bring back Doug Bradley as Pinhead, which are all positives in my book. As we get uh, more news with regards to that, I will share it with you guys. We got some small screen news this week that definitely go into what the fuck... Uh, news uh, TV news category and that is that deadline is saying that NBC is going to reboot get this murder she wrote I'm sure if you guys were 80s babies like myself you probably saw the Angela Lansbury show on television once or twice growing up well it looks like they are looking to reboot that TV series with Octavia Spencer playing the role made famous by Angela Lansbury According to what they're saying, the show is being described as a reimagining of the original series. I kid you not. Murder, She Wrote is getting the reboot. I, why? <laughs> of all the shit that you can, play, you can put on TV, really? Murder, She Wrote is what you're going to do? Jay Santi writes, reboot Murder, She Wrote, but kill Ironside. It's true. It's, it's insanity. Of all the shows you could do, Murder, She Wrote is getting the reboot treatment. Murder, She Wrote ran from 1984 to 1996. Just, just, just absorb that. Anyway, on the box office side of things, Bad, Bad Grandpa took the number one slot, earning $32 million dollars followed by Gravity in the number two slot, bringing its total to $199 million. Captain Phillips was number three. The Counselor was number four, which I'm actually really uh, trying to get into the theater to see before I go away. Hopefully I get a chance to. Claudia with a chance of Meatballs 2 was number five. Carrie was number six. The Escape Plan was number seven, which I didn't even know was out. 12 Years a Slave was number eight. Enough Said was number nine. And Prisoners was number 10. A couple of months back, I mentioned a Highlander reboot that was in the books, and initially they um, they were scheduling a reboot with Ryan Reynolds as the lead, but things have changed quite a bit. First off, they finally found a director. They're going to go with uh, visual effects supervisor Cedric Nicholas Troyan. He's going to be making his directorial debut uh, with the film being written by Art Markham and Matt Holloway, who did Iron Man. But Ryan Reynolds, which was attached to star in the film, has since left the project. So there you have it. The Highlander reboot is a go, but without Ryan Reynolds. And some other small screen news. We're going to have more zombies on our plate for the next year as The Walking Dead gets renewed for its fifth season, which is pretty cool. 
Uh, the Walking Dead has been off to a solid start. Everybody's been pretty hit and miss with this season. I, I, I kind of like the direction it's going and the storytelling. I've also read the comics, so for me, um, we'd all love the show to be exactly like the comics, but what they're doing with the TV show and the one hour of television that they have is, is pretty solid, and we will be getting a fifth season. So there you have it, folks. The Walking Dead will be continuing on AMC for the fifth season. In some what-the-fuck movie news this week, get this. Um, a couple of months back, I reviewed Olympus Has Fallen. Olympus Has Fallen starred Gerard Butler, Aaron Eckhart, and Morgan Friedman and was surprisingly, surprisingly good. Very underrated and a lot better than White House Down. Now, it turns out that New Image is working on a sequel to Olympus Has Fallen called, get this, London Has Fallen. It looks like uh, Gerard Butler, Aaron Eckhart, and Morgan Friedman would all return for the sequel. Millennium Films will produce it uh, with Alan Siegel and Gerard Butler's G-Base Pictures. Focus Features will distribute it under uh, CEO Peter Schlesel and Film District, of course, released the original in March. Uh, Shooting is scheduled to begin May 5th in London, and basically the story is going to see a terrorist attack on the city during the funeral of a British prime minister, only the president of the United States, his secret service head, and an English MI6 agent can stop the terrorists. They're also looking to include Angela Bassett and Rada Mitchell as well. The first film, of course, Olympus Has Fallen, has earned $161 million worldwide, $62 million from international box office totals, and $98 million from domestic totals. So there you have it. I mean... I thought Olympus Has Fallen was a solid film, substantially better than White House Down. Does it merit a sequel? In my opinion, it doesn't. But Hollywood realized that they made a solid movie, it made over $100 million, and they had a pretty solid cast that won't break the bank. So, there you have it. Olympus Has Fallen is getting a sequel, aptly titled London Has Fallen, and shooting begins in May 2015. In some what-the-fuck TV news for this week, get this, CBS is considering a reboot of Charmed. You guys remember Charmed, the show with the three witches, which originally had Holly Marie Combs, Alyssa Milano, and Shannon Doherty, who was later replaced by Rose McGowan? Well, it looks like CBS wants to do a reboot of a show that stopped airing in 2006. Think about that. Charmed ran from 1998 to 2006 and it's getting a reboot already. Alyssa Milano and Rose McGowan has been vocal on Twitter about this reboot possibility saying that, you know, it hasn't been that long since the show stopped airing. Not only that, but it's still on reruns on TNT. I should know because I see it every couple of days when I'm going to the office late. So there you have it. They are contemplating a reboot of fucking Charmed. So not only are we getting a reboot of Murder, She Wrote, which nobody's going to give a fuck about unless you're 65, but they're doing a reboot of Charmed, which isn't even that fucking old. It's only been seven years since the show went off air. Seriously? Seven years? You're not even giving it a full 10-year slot? You're going to wait seven years and then reboot it? Get the fuck out of here. And CBS of all channels, if anything, you know, maybe maybe TNT or TBS, but 
at this point, why don't you just why don't you just reboot um what the hell was the show where the guy used to turn into animals manimal? There you go. Give me a reboot of Manimal or maybe another shitty reboot of Knight Rider where Kit is is a Winnebago. Why not just that? Cuz seriously, that's where we're going. If you guys remember, they did a reboot of Knight Rider where Kit was a Mustang. If you guys remember that, that was fucking short-lived and he actually fought Car and Car transformed into like a robot that looked like something out of Transformers. It was fucking abysmal as shit. Why would you do that? Jay says that they should reboot Airwolf. You know what the problem is? The only reboot that I've seen that is moderately successful has been Hawaii Five-0. For a couple of reasons. Number one, they have good chemistry. And the guys that work together, you know, Scotty Khan is really good. Daniel Day Kim is solid. And the storylines are pretty, pretty paint-by-numbers. And it's it's in a decent time slot. Hawaii Five O is the only reboot that I actually thought would suck that has actually surprised me quite a bit. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's decent. But seriously, like Hawaii Five O, you took it in another direction, you rebooted it a little differently. But you want to reboot Charmed, Murder She Wrote? Why don't you reboot Mission Impossible? At least with Mission Impossible, you can have a lot of fun with special effects. Oh, yeah, that's right, because it's called Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's why you're not rebooting Mission Impossible, because it's called Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Let's not fucking kid ourselves. And Strider, I love New York Undercover. I remember when the Puerto Rican cop died in the explosion. It was fucking fantastic. And, yo, what the fuck is Malik Yoba doing? There you go. What is Malik Yoba doing besides doing, like, shitty uh, Tyler Perry movies? What else is he doing? Or or Lauren Velez, who was super hot. I remember watching New York Undercover, and I was like, damn, that's a bad chick. I remember she did Oz, and she's popped up in a couple of other films, but Lauren Velez during, during, during you know the late 90s when we were watching New York Undercover, come on, I know all my 80s babies were like, yo, that's a bad chick. And Ice Cube was in it, and he was like the number one bad guy for uh, Malik Yoba's detective. Oh, I was fucking sick. Thank you, Strider. Lauren Velez was on Revolution. I mean, uh, was on Dexter. And Jay says that was Malik Yoba on Revolution. Thank you, Jay. I didn't even know that. I'm like, yo, what the fuck happened to Malik Yoba? At least I know he's doing something. He was good in New York Undercover. That show, what I really liked about it when I was growing up was that they do the musical performances at the end and they would always be at the lounge that the Puerto Rican cop's dad owned, and it would always be some upcoming musical act that would be performing. So, you know, you'd watch the show, and then it'd be like, stay tuned afterwards to see a performance by, like, a Tribe Called Quest. And you'd watch the entire season, I mean, you'd watch the entire episode to watch, like, a performance of one of your favorite hip-hop or R&B groups debuting their one song. Oh, man, those were the fucking days. New York Undercover is is a gem. It is definitely a gem. Um... Oh, Val said that Malik Yoba was also in three seasons of Alphas. I did not know that either. See, you guys coming through in in a, in a pinch with the info. But yes, I, I wouldn't mind a New York Undercover reboot on like FX. Do it, uh, you know, super violent, Sons of Anarchy style. Maybe do it like The Wire. Oh, I'd love to see that shit in New York. Filmed in New York. Not filmed in like Canada, subbing as New York, but legitimately filmed in the boroughs. I'd love that shit. Anyway... Uh, real quick, just want to tell you guys that it is 156 
and uh, the Blog Talk radio feed will be going off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but you can continue listening via Mixler or by going to gfqlive.tv or mtrlive.com. All right, so finally a bit of news that is official now. It looks like Aaron Taylor Johnson from Kick-Ass will officially be Quicksilver in Avengers Age of Ultron. I've been talking about this for the last couple of episodes, and it's been rumored for quite some time, but now the signing is official. Aaron Taylor Johnson will be Quicksilver in Avengers Age of Ultron, and Evan Peters will be Quicksilver in X-Men Days of the Future Past. Um, Evan Peters, you've probably seen him in American Horror Story. He'll be playing... Uh, Quicksilver there and something interesting if you guys didn't know Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson were both in Kick-Ass as well Evan Peters played Kick-Ass best friend so very interesting that both guys came from one film and are both playing the same character in two different universes so there you have it Avengers Age of Ultron hits theaters May 1st 2015 now Another remake that goes into the what the fuck movie news category. Well, actually two to wrap things up are the following. Uh, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who did um, 28 Weeks Later, is in line to direct a remake of Pet Cemetery. I kid you not. Pet Cemetery, which came out in 1989, got a shitty sequel in 1992, is getting a remake. Why? The original- 90 seconds. There goes the English lady yelling. Um, again, you can continue listening to the live feed of the show on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. As I said, we're going to get a reboot or a remake of Pet Cemetery. Nothing beats the original Pet Cemetery with the scary-ass little kid, Fred Gwine Gage, Gage, and his ankle just getting severed with a scalpel, and then the little toddler biting his throat. Oh, come on. That shit was awesome. 60 seconds. 60 seconds, guys. Just in case, if you're listening on the Block Talk radio feed, you can continue listening on the mtrlive.com feed, either via Mixler or via GFQ. So, again, this Pet Cemetery remake, completely unnecessary. The original film came out in 1989. There was no necessity to, to reboot it. It was extremely scary extremely well done it does not need a reboot it really doesn't pet cemetery is a film that even now in 2013 can give you the fucking heebie-jeebies it really can so for you to sit there and say to yourself oh yeah man a pet cemetery reboot is gonna be awesome no no it's not it is not Ten seconds we got it 10 seconds anyway the thing about Pet Cemetery is that it was so scary, so well done, that in order for you to do it, now you'd have to do it the same way you did Evil Dead, which instead of being genuinely scary, you'd have to make it over-the-top gross and super violent. Definitely not the move. The other remake, get this, and if you're an 80s baby like me, you know this film. Sleepaway Camp is getting a reboot. According to Deadline, Jeff Katz, who, if I'm correct, is the same Jeff Katz who did the Wrestling Revolution Project, has optioned the rights to the 1983 original and is actually developing a reboot. Now, the beauty of this film, if you've never seen Sleepaway Camp, was 
not only the the violence, but the way that the ending was for this film. I don't want to spoil it, but if you get a chance, definitely look up Sleepaway Camp and check it out, or Pet Cemetery and check it out. That they're getting reboots. Sleepaway Camp was fantastic. It's you know, it's 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 so it was so well done and so unexpected, and for them to decide to do reboots of these two timeless classics just boggles my mind. Now the thing is. I don't have a problem with them wanting to do the reboots, but you know that most times the reboots just don't do them justice. Now, of course, you can cite Evil Dead. Evil Dead was a good movie that used the Evil Dead name and it stood on its own two feet. But what made it scary was how visually gross and horrifying it was from a visual standpoint. It didn't elicit fear or or it didn't make you jump out of your seat. It made you cringe because it was disgusting. It made you cringe when a chick was taking a piece of glass and cutting her tongue in half. That's the kind of shit that makes you cringe and be like, oh my God. It's not the kind of shit that scares you. It's the kind of shit that you've got to turn away because it's so utterly horrifying. So there you have it, folks. Lots of what the fuck movie news this week. Reboots out the ass. Pet Cemetery. Sleepaway Camp, Reboot Treatment, Charmed, Angela Lansbury, Murder, She Wrote, all getting reboots. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But it's only fitting that on Halloween we close out the show with some horror movie news for a horror movie reboot. All right. That is going to wrap up this week's show. Not for nothing, Jay, I saw... I saw Sleepaway Camp when I was fairly young myself. Jay was saying in the chat, I was about eight years old when I saw Sleepaway Camp. Fuck me up at the end. My mom was a great parent. Don't don't feel bad. My mom let me watch all that shit too. Anyway, time to close things up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 203 for Thursday, October 31st, 2013. Happy Halloween, guys. It's officially now November 1st. Um... If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. You can leave a message there, and if you don't want that to be played on air, just make sure to specify that. You can leave feedback, or if you don't want to send an email and would like to be a guest, you can use that line as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circles on Google Plus and also follow our boards on Pinterest. If you want to keep up with some of my crazy happenings which are show related and non-show related, you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, My Take Radio underscore rich. Last but not least, if you want the best MTR experience, make sure to pick up our Android, iOS, and Windows mobile apps. Available for Android in the Amazon Marketplace, iOS on iTunes, and Windows via the Windows Marketplace. It is $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee from Starbucks. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show. You get exclusive content, including MTR Beyond the Mic, MTR Behind the Mic, countless mobile wallpapers, and other stuff as well. Not only that, but any of the stuff, any of the interviews we release, usually app owners get them exclusively first. So there you have it. As always, you can always listen to My Take Radio on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, and you can also catch the video reruns on GFQ. 
you. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Jay, Quark, Blade, Andrea Slick, and the rest of the MTR family, including Ben, I will catch you guys probably the next week or so. Stay tuned to the fan page for updates. But if not, uh, when I come back, I will be happily married. Jay says, have fun at your wedding and come back a daddy. Get the fuck out of here. Not yet. I want to wait at least a year before that happens. But thank you, Jay, for the well wishes. Again, on behalf of the MTR team, I will catch you guys very soon. Stay tuned for updates on the fan page, and you can always catch reruns on GFQ. Peace. As for outro music this week, uh, we got a couple of different jams we can go out with. Uh, You know what? Let's go out with something from our friends at ocremix.org. And I'm thinking we should go out with Street Fighter II's The Mass Man by Nutritious. And you can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org.